Aggressive Podcast, episode 61. Um, continue on the road to WrestleMania 19. Uh, let's get right into it. I'll bring in my guests. We are um, on the last episode, we worked the uh, South South connection, but uh, this week we'll do a true North South connection. And I'll bring in, um, I guess it's my quarterly evaluation. So I'll bring in uh, the man who's here to evaluate me, and that would be uh, Mr. JT Rosero. What's going on? I don't know if you quite exceed performance, Jake. I would say maybe mm-hmm. a, a strong, successful performance, though, I'd give you. Oh, I'll take that. As long as okay. my pay doesn't get docked, I mean, <laughs> no, it's fine. go with it. Your bonus may be mm-hmm. a little low, but it's okay. <laughs> um, so we're here recording a little happy hour energy. We're on the, uh, it's a Friday night. Obviously, we both um been in the bars before this. No, that's not true. Um. I was in the, wearing a in the, uh, in the recliners. <laughs> That's where we were. Right, at. right. Yeah, we were chatting about uh, pass down the recliners. I had a, a baby carrier on just a, a little moment ago, walking the baby around. I was going to ask you, uh, I, not to, we do like a brief dad cast resurrection, which maybe we could bring it back. Patreon exclusive here on North South. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever rock the baby carrier? I did not for the first child, but I've been trying to use it. Sometimes just out of pure necessity because I need to like accomplish things while a baby's around. Did you ever, or did it like hurt your masculinity to uh, do the baby? Oh uh, no, I have no pride. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever was easiest. I I think I used it here and there, not a lot. But if we like went out, we were gonna be walking a bunch. Sometimes I think I used it. Mm-hmm. I think my wife used it occasionally. I, I just, I it's so funny. It's like when you're in the moment, it feels like you're never gonna forget these things. But mm-hmm. unless I like look at pictures of video, there's stuff I just have like no memory of at all. It just, it just <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. My shy, I think this like the second really takes a toll on you as you learn it. Like the second really like burns you, <laughs> burns your memory. Like you'll see, it's going to get even worse. Like 
with the first, you feel st- like it's still not, you know, I mean, like you're still okay. It's, you can still kind of do your thing. That second really just like, yeah, just burns you. I was yeah. joking with and someone else. Like, recliner naps. Uh, yeah, and I was joking right. with someone too, like with the like place to be. I feel like you could draw the line where like the creativity of that show would <laughs> that went down it was right. <laughs> it was like I had like no more brain power to put into like making things like creative. It just became like more of a straightforward show. I was like, it's like what was the tipping point of that? I was like, yeah, that's probably right around right around then when I'm like I'm just way too tired <laughs> and exhausted all the time to come up with creative bits right. and stuff like that. The uh, yeah, the early episodes with uh, Gigante and and. <laughs> Claire and the live all that shit and uh right. It I also like when you when you guys started it, you would record like I wanna say when y'all started, y'all did what like twice a week? Oh yeah. Yeah. We were doing twice yeah. a week, like two to two and a half hours an episode. We were probably doing four and a half to five hours a week. But I guess when you look at my output now, it's probably more than that was. It's right. just that, that was the only thing we did for I mean it was like three years that was all we did was that show. Right. It's like it's like comparing the uh, now to the 80s wrestling where you like <laughs> the output. It's like, yeah, but there's so much TV. It was a different thing, you know, like right, we had yeah. to... <laughs> well, even the um, landscape was just so different. There was just so few podcasts in general, not even just wrestling podcasts. Like when we started in February 2011, like it wasn't that much out there, you know, it's crazy just how it's right. insane now. And you learned how to work to, uh, you know not get so many bumps on your podcast bump card. So <laughs> That's right. We started working in. a safer, safer, <laughs> safer style. Just like, read the play by play of the, anyway. of the wrestling. That's it. Right. But anyway, we're here to talk some, some uh, ruthless aggression here. So we'll, we'll dive in. I do have uh last week, the, uh, the observer website failed me. So I didn't get the notes, but we have a few here. So mm. we'll, we'll start getting into these. Um, Mostly WWE related. I usually try and get some random ones, but I didn't find anything too juicy as far as the outside of WWE. But so these are mostly relevant to WWE. So the first one is that Paul Heyman has been removed from creative around this time. He was um, so just a lot of uh, tension between him and Vince and whoever about what was going on. He was opposed to bringing back and bringing in so many high profile newcomers at once, thinking a WrestleMania main event between uh, Lesnar and Angle would solidify them as big stars going forward. And uh, he was not so much big on the the direction they're going now, where even though those two are going to be a big deal in WrestleMania, they're going to sort of be competing, I guess, with like Austin and Rock mm-hmm. and these guys. So a very early, like um, these part-timers coming in and stealing our spot kind of thing. And a guy, I guess Heyman, given his background in ECW and stuff, I mean, it's kind of his reputation as being, very much about pushing the newer guys and what's new and fresh was kind right. of like not on board with that as much among other things. And that kind of um, led to him being ousted on the creative side. Yeah. I remember that being a, like definitely a angering point uh, before we started, we were talking a little bit about just kind of this era of the internet wrestling community and just how angry it was like overall about everything. That period of anger was like probably five or six years of, I mean, it's still out there today, obviously, but it just, it is purest message board complaining, you know, form mm-hmm. from like 99, you know, 99 to like 05, 06 was just rife with, you know, just complaints about everything um, when it came to who and what was being pushed. And then Heyman was looked at like a, like a savior representing that 
viewpoint, right? Like he was pushing, you know, he was lauded for the SmackDown six and the way SmackDown was booked in the fall and being more young and the athletic presentation. Uh, and, you know, whereas Raw was a little bit more vilified, right? Because it was more of the all the stuff you've covered over the past six months worth of television mm-hmm. and paper, you know, Katie Vick type stuff and everything else a little bit more goofy. So when he was pulled from that role and all of a sudden now it's like, okay, is it just going to all be under Stephanie? Is it going to be under Vince? Or, you know, whoever the fear was that it was just going to all revert to how raw was. And we, you know, no longer have that different voice and it was going to fall into just like everything feeling the same. Um, and, and that wasn't even like a bad thing yet per se at that time, because like WF was still pretty well regarded, at least into O2 by most. Um, mm-hmm. It's later, right? Where I think all that was prophetic in a way, where it just becomes an echo chamber eventually down the road. Uh, and, you know, Heyman does stick around obviously for quite a bit on TV and stuff. So it's like, he's gone. So I think his voice is still there before he eventually leaves for a while. But yeah, at the time I definitely seemed like a big deal. Weirdly, kind of like the Triple H of now in this era. Uh, given what mm-hmm. we're going to talk about in a second, um, yeah. So, kind of like the Triple H of his time. But um, we can we continue on here. Another thing that they are so they officially have decided to um, start with the brand split pay per views after WrestleMania. They're going to do the uh, the uh, the brand specific pay per views. Uh, it is expected that announcement will be made officially at the company stakeholders quarterly investment conference. Uh, so that's going to be a new thing. And so I, I remember this at the time and it was very weird. For, I mean, I was a bit younger, but I remember thinking that this was kind of wild. Like this is when you really felt like the brand split. I mean, it, it mm-hmm. happened on TV, but I think when they split the pay-per-views, that's when we really got into this next era of, you know, like really feeling like two completely different. And they even talk about um, Meltzer mentions that they're going to have like different production crews and that whole. So like they're really going to the next level with the the brand split idea. Yeah, I mean, they were desperate to recreate the competition, right? And in the competition that they could mm-hmm. control. It had been rumored as far back as when they bought WCW, right? They were supposed to WCW was supposed to get its own time slot, Saturday nights, its own show. Then USA or TNN, whoever it was at the time, didn't want it. Uh, because they thought it was a damaged brand, so they did the invasion instead. That didn't really go to plan, so then they had to do the brand split, and now splitting the pay-per-views. And I, I think it made sense to go along with what they were aiming for, was to do the brand, to split the pay-per-views up. I think the problem is they wait like a year too long to do it to where the roster has thinned out severely. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it a minute ago, like we're bringing in the part-timers again for Mania. And a lot of these guys are going to be gone, whether they knew it at the time or not. I mean, Hogan hangs out for a little bit longer, but like Austin, Rock, like like these guys aren't going to really be here that much longer. And when you start looking really, I mean, think of the Raws you've been covering, right? Like D'Lo Brown, mm-hmm. you know, Maven, like also like that's the depth of, you know, Rikishi who feels watched. Like that's the depth of these programs right now. So the pay-per-views are still pretty good when you're taking the top three to four matches of each brand because you have like the top seven, eight guys. And now all of a sudden you're going to have the top 15 guys from each, each show. Things start to get a little bit lighter, especially as the names start to fade and they haven't really done a great job yet of replenishing that next level. Like they haven't 
successfully, you could argue, elevated the dudes that they should have been elevating because you, you've been talking about Triple H mm-hmm. buried them all. <laughs> so like the Kane, RVD, like even Jericho, who you know came off arguably his biggest run in 0102, is back down. So it's like, what is that? What is that? main event scene look like when the big guys are all gone, you know, now all of a sudden you're going to sell pay-per-views and you have these thin, thin shows. Right. And that had been sort of the steady, because the talk of this time is that the business is on a slight decline, but that has sort mm-hmm. of been their, um, their steadying forces that the pay-per-views have still burned pretty well. Um, right. Because you, like you said, you sort of get the greatest hits of each show and mm-hmm. the, the best talent of each show. And so if you split that, it's kind of, yeah, it's a little iffy. And you also have what we're going to get into, um, which will make its uh, way into these shows, is that the injuries are piling up. Um, so we have Edge, who has a, um, which, you know, you'll they've obviously mentioned on the shows before. But the thing about this is that, so he mentions that Edge gives an interview and he kind of says that the, the reason he believes that, you know, the injuries are piling up for him is because they're working this more physical style. Yep. So it's a weird double-edged sword where it's made like SmackDown really stand out because you have this really awesome kind of work rate driven, good matches, physical matches. But at the same time, you could see it's taken the toll on the guys where edge has been one of the stalwarts of that. And now he's has a neck injury. That's going to keep him out for a year. Um, you have angle here. That's mentioned angle has, um, he recently gets injured. Uh, I think it's like March 3rd or something mm-hmm. probably on the show. Uh, yeah. That we're going to cover, but and like so he's has the neck injury so now he's in jeopardy for mania and even batista and um and orton are mentioned here as having injuries like orton has some kind of even he's just coming back from the shoulder injury um when he took the 3d from the dudley boys oh, he's already he busted like fractured, his foot yeah yes he has like the fractured foot batista has a torn uh bicep or tricep or something like that so you have all these guys it's like they're trying to move to this more physical style but then at the same time it's sort of like you said, the roster death is being hurt by it because all these guys are getting injured now. So it's kind of, uh, it's, and so that like, they're sort of second guessing, like mm-hmm. edge even says in this interview that Meltzer mentions, like, you know, maybe we need to go back to a more, I guess like story driven style or something. Cause are, are all these guys going to be able to continue this at this pace without right. all burning themselves out? I remember that Orton injury sounding gross. Like I feel like his foot, mm-hmm. like his toes bent sideways, or mm-hmm. so. it was something ridiculous. Like that, I was like all messed up. So I mean, he is—he's out for a bit. He's not out for as long. I feel like he comes back by like June or something, maybe. But um, Batista's out for a while. I think he's out to like October or something. So he definitely like kind of cut his progress. The it was just that that strong style influence that. Uh, was again what a lot of fans were wanting and pushing for was like yeah dropping dudes on their heads and a lot of German suplexes and like all that kind of stuff was the rage at the time and it wasn't even as much like chair shots and violence it was just more that real hard hitting heavy style just dropping dudes um, on their necks and stuff and that caught on you know with dudes like Benoit etc and then with the you know growth of like Ring of Honor and, and stuff more access to Japanese wrestling via VHS at that time, or maybe like homemade DVD, whatever. Uh, a lot of the style was that strong style. It was like, yeah, just a lot of heavy strikes and um, brain busters and Germans like dropping dudes on their heads, like became 
a thing. And yeah, it leads to a lot of broken necks or, you know, slow deterioration, like a dude like Danny Bryan, right? That took years and years to get there, but eventually just his head mm-hmm. neck gave out, right? From that hard style that he continued to to work. And it was definitely like that was, if you think of like the domineering style of the 2000s, like that's what it is. It's just mm-hmm. that real hard hitting, head dropping style. And it's, and it's honestly only going to escalate more mm-hmm. and especially as they start moving into more like of these gimmick matches what money in the bank's going to be is on the horizon that type of stuff i mean it's not like there's going to be a big sea change in that it, they just kind of keep rolling with it and the guys are just just going to deal with it but we'll, well see how then it you plays get, into these shows mm-hmm. and you get dudes like angle who are just nuts right like jeff hardy mm-hmm. who's nuts like even if they tone the style down dudes like that aren't going to slow down right so like angle mm-hmm. was doing insane stuff no matter what moonsaults on the top of the cage, right? Like tons of suit. Like he already had a broken neck, a broken freaking neck from his amateur days. So he's already come in and damaged and, and like the type of style he was working was not conducive to someone in that condition. So it was a bad mix of like the style going that way, catching on influence wise. And then dudes that just didn't give a shit, just going out there and throwing themselves around. And yeah, it's going to lead to you're trying to strap up angle and have him be one of your top guys. Now, but he's, you know, completely already breaking down. Right. And so we'll see how this all plays into the shows because it will, as we'll see as we go through them, it, it is, it will kind of lead to, like, knowing it, you kind of understand why some of the decisions are made. But I think if you wouldn't, you would wonder, like, there's a little bit of strange, there's a few strange moments of, like, why would they go that route with some of this stuff, as we'll see. But, um, we'll, we'll jump into the show. So we'll start with the March 3rd, 2003, uh, Raw, this will be live for the Nassau Coliseum out in uh, Long Island. And we start with Eric Bischoff. He tells three-minute warning to uh, – they have weapons. They're waiting for Austin as his arrival because it's going to be his big return to Raw. And he wants this return to be his last. So at this point, I've I've, I've tracked it throughout. Three-minute warning have kind of been uh, <laughs> like – have dropped fallen so far like this is not the worst spot for them they're just kind of good goon henchmen at this point so it's not the worst spot for them it kind of makes sense and this will be a running uh little story throughout the show as we wait for austin return we have serious uh ready to fight bischoff too he's got the black jeans the leather shirt i mean <laughs> yeah. uh, black shirt the leather jacket like this is ready to brawl bischoff look here uh yeah and this is a fine cold open i mean it, like you already know that they're the the lowest level of foot soldiers because of the first he talks to and he's got him in the garage. The other guys, he kind of has further back into the arena that he trusts a little bit more. These goofs, are, <laughs> uh, they're the first line to get fed to Austin. So yeah, as the show goes on, you can tell how high you are in the car mm-hmm. based on what line of defense you are for a yep. Bischoff. But all right. So we will open, uh, we're going to open with a promo here. We get our number one contender Booker T heading out to the ring uh, he gets the mic for just a second. He uh, hypes up a shot at Mania, and he's quickly, in the within about 30 seconds, interrupted by Triple H, who comes out with his uh, his uh, sport coat and his uh, silken hair. He's kind of looking Booker up and down, mm-hmm. and he says that Booker is confused about his role in life. He says, uh, somebody like you doesn't get to be world champion. You don't deserve mm-hmm. it. That's for people like me. You are here to be an entertainer. And then this is at the point where it's already like, okay, I know where they're going with this. But then it gets real uncomfortable when he tells them to uh, to do a little dance. Tells, uh, like I said, tell, uh, tells them that 
dance for me book uh and then some of this i don't even want to <laughs> it's like uh he goes full don i miss talking about the nappy hair and then mm-hmm. he says suckers all the time he laughs at the idea of him winning the world title just being very condescending uh buries his wcw run saying that yeah he was a five-time champion but that was when david arquette and vince russo were also champs that was that was that his wrestling. only good line mm-hmm. yeah that was it uh, mm-hmm. but yeah go ahead Right, right, and um, Ed Maney has to wrestle the best that's the best wrestler alive, um, and you're gonna do what people like you always do, which is lose. And um, and so with this, before we get into Booker's thing, you know what mm-hmm. they're going like. I think even if you're going this route, I don't think some of these lines are really even. Like you can get the point across without going the route that they did. I don't think it really. You know, I know what they I know what they think they're going for is like, you know, oh, we're gonna put this super heat on Triple H and, and yada yada, but I don't think they maybe had to go the route that they did. But um yeah, just <sighs> Well, and it's right. right there for you without having to go to the race card, right? And you know, I think mm-hmm. they try and do it like sleight of hand enough where they could if they had to defend themselves, be like, No, he just means as a you know, guys like him are undercard wrestlers. He's not a good wrestler. Like whatever, like right. They can try and do it, but when he starts getting into yeah, the nappy hair and the suckers and dance for me and guys like you were entertainment, it's just it felt completely out of place because I don't think leading up to this he's done any, anything like this. And then coming out of it, I feel like they kind of mm-hmm. distance from it a little bit. Um, the the line about the WCW champions was his best point, and that's the direction that they could have easily went and told the same story without the racism, like. Have them come out and say, you know, wrestlers like you who spent their whole career in WCW in a mm-hmm. tag team in an inferior promotion, you know, it's a shell of itself. Hey, Rick, WCW was trash by then, right? Yep. Okay. So by the time you were on top, it was a fading promotion. You know, you you were you weren't fighting anyone ever, and now you're here thinking you can take me out. No chance. Like, you want to come out and be entertainment mm-hmm. and do your spinner roonies? Like, you can still say that, right? Like you know, you you only you've been mm-hmm. here, and look, you don't even care enough to take it seriously. Your team with Goldust doing stupid shit with that. You're dancing around. You know, like th- there's ways to do it without being so heavy-handed. Um, and, and even worse off, and I mean, you're gonna get to this in a couple of weeks, but even worse off, if you mm-hmm. are gonna do it, if you are gonna do it, you have to go a different way with the result. I mean, you you can't you can't mm-hmm. have. And, and all right, well, let's get to Booker's reaction. Go ahead. Right, right. Because, and this is where it really, like, for me, it really goes off the rails, is that Booker doesn't get much of a ritual. So the first thing Booker says back to him is, yeah, you know, some of what you say might be true. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, right. the WCW thing, maybe, but, like, why are you giving any credence to what he just said? He just said all these horrible things about you. And then and then all he does is kind of a generic, like, yeah, I'm going to ragtag you, your ass at, at Mania. And then, like, all Triple H has is a very condescending, like, yeah, we'll see. And then kind of, like, you'll be lucky if you make it to Maine. He just kind of walks off and mm-hmm. pretty much doesn't seem intimidated by Booker T at all. So I think well, if you're going to do all that, you have to have... Mm-hmm. He's just good luck brother. And JR goes, brother. <laughs> like, like, it was like, again, just unneeded, unneeded. Right. And it's like, you know, you get the rough lines, like, and... He like I said, but Booker barely gets a retort and mm-hmm. saying that what Triple H was right and like in all this Flair cosplay, he's he's missing the whole part where like Flair would always put over his opponents. 
like as being right, right. great and all like, you know, I'm Flair. I always, I'm the best, but I also face the best. Like, you know, if you ever watch those old NWA stuff, like a lot of us just them hyping up NWA is that they all mm -hmm. like, we're all the best. This is the greatest wrestlers ever, but that's not what happens here. He just kind of, even Booker snaps back at him. He just kind of no sells it. And like, and like you said, you just know Booker's not going to get a chance to kind of to prove him wrong. And like, you got to have him come back at him. Like if you're going to let triple H try and, you know, cut deep or whatever, you got to let Booker have the same kind of shots. Like let him fire back at triple H and say, well, you just rode the coattails of Shawn Michaels and, and Kevin right. Nash. And all you were a jobber like, in WCW. You weren't do... even anything there. You can even, if it's so shitty, you can even rise above that. Like, you know, like shoot back with that. Or he like, or give a reason why he's so stoic because he's shooting dagger daggers at him the whole time before he says, you know, about the, um, I'm going to ride tag your ass or whatever. And some of the stuff you say is true. Like if you're not going to have him like slug triple H, which is what they should have done is he should just beat the shit out of him as soon as he said it, at least have mm -hmm. him say after, like maybe he's backstage with someone and they're like, dude, like, how did you not nail this guy for what he said? And he's like, you know, we have to rise above this kind of mm -hmm. bullshit. Like, you know, we're not going to stoop to their level and talk that shit. I'll do my talking in the ring and prove who's better. Who's the rest. Like, like give us that. Like give us a rationale. Instead, they completely pants them. It is. I mean, this is their guy heading mm -hmm. toward WrestleMania in the world title match, and they keep calling it the main event. And he's standing standing there. This looks like a like a goof. Like they just made him look stupid a week after mm -hmm. his big battle royal win. To get it, it was just completely dismissive. As soon as he said the thing about people like you, Booker should have hauled off and nailed him. Like it just mm -hmm. made him look completely. And then if he's not going to do that you could explain why he's not doing that. And they didn't do that either. And, and it's very out of character for Booker too, because it's not really, his character is not like this, you know, silent guy who just lets things go. Like his whole thing is that he's fire. He's he's fiery in ring and he's out not of a, ring. He's not the uh, of, strong. He's not the strong silent type like Gary Cooper. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't fit his character. It just, like you said, they just kind of lay him out to dry here. And it's just a horrible start to this feud. It just makes you immediately think that they don't that that they feel what Triple H is saying is true that they just don't think mm -hmm. Booker's on the same level, and so the company's not getting a chance to kind of spar with Triple H, which has kind of been the story of all these. I mean, that's kind of what happened with RVD. Even RVD right. got a few lines in, them, but this is well, even I'll worse be, than that. I'll be curious mm -hmm. Meltzer's reaction, like in your future episodes when you cover that, to how this played out. And now that we're talking about it, I remember there is. I was thinking this guy is isolated, but no, they lean in, right? Don't they get into the, um, is this when they get into the Booker, like get arrested stuff and all that? And King just goes yes. fucking nuts mm -hmm. on it. Okay. Yeah. It's coming. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You really have a blast yeah. with that. That's right. I forget at WrestleMania. He's just like completely over the edge. I think with the going in on him, getting arrested and being a con ex con and all that stuff. Yeah. That's right. That gets, yeah, this does get worse. <laughs> it gets pretty bad. Yeah. Just a horrible start to this feud. Um, yeah, I think we covered it. It's just, it's like everything that has been bad about Triple H in this run since he got the title just amped up to the nth degree, and now we add racism onto it. So it's just, and yeah, maybe it's not it's, as it's bad not if good. he just wins. If he kills him in Mania, you know, Triple right. H comes out, Booker wipes him out, takes the title, and says, "Who's best now?" Like it's kind of like, okay, well, it was a means to an end, wasn't the best material, but 
at the end of the day, it's a Hogan slaughter, right? Like slaughter's doing this awful and you know, war based stuff and based in reality, but Hogan wipes him out and wins for America. Right? Like, so like if Booker would have just kicked the shit out of this guy, that's what you want to see. Like after what he, how he's talking, maybe it goes a little bit differently. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll chug along here. We'll, so we'll go to our first match, which is going to mm-hmm. be Jeff Hardy versus Christian. Um, uh, which well, is hang on, kind but, of stemming from that. They show up before this, they go back to the garage and three minute warning and Rico are trying to, it's like they're playing a hide and go seek or manhunt or something. They're like, <laughs> they're like trying to hide. Like, oh, this isn't good. They're going to see us. It's like, and they're trying to hide behind cars and doors. It's like, it's so ridiculous. Like these two 400 pound guys are like, where are we going to hide? Right. Duck you behind a, you know, Fiat or some shit. So it's like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> You thought we we're going to be these six months ago, we're going to be these like dominant monsters, and now they're just yeah. a bunch of goobers hiding in the trunk of a Corolla. Wait for us to come in. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, so we have Jeff Hardy and Christian, uh, stemming from the uh, the brief Jeff Hardy uh detour in the taking test spot in the Jericho feud, but you know, they do some back and forth. Uh, you get uh, Jeff does take a nasty bump early on. Yeah, he, uh, he gets dropped on the ropes, which I don't know if it was like him selling or just him not taking the bump well, but he kind of just splatters all over the ropes. Uh, <laughs> Christian's working over Jeff with uh, JR calls the uh, the Wilbur Schneider ab stretch, which uh, <laughs> I pop for. Uh, just a real basic structure. I did think the pace of this one was like real th- uh, slow and lethargic, like never really got any energy to it. I mean, Jeff Hardy hits his... You know, his signature stuff, he hits the little um, split leg where he, like, drops the legs on the crotch, hits, like, a little whisper in the wind. But Christian comes back, hits the unprettier, and wins it pretty handily. But, yeah, disappointed. This could have been much better than it was. It really didn't flow. No real energy to it. It just feels like both of these guys are better than more than uh, be- better than this. So I ended up going only a star on it, uh, JT. The... Uh... Hardy, I, I thought he was gone already. Like, I thought he left right after, like, the whole No Way Out swap and everything. I, I didn't realize he was still lingering in this close to Mania. He does get a big pop. Uh, JR calls him complex, which made me laugh. It's quite the back of the slap. <laughs> Very complex individual. Uh, Christian, just it jumps out as how ratty he looks here. Like, he really needed that new look bad. Like, just the long hair, mm-hmm. so stringy. And the, um, just even the tights, just everything. what is bad. Yeah, he just he really needs like a new look big time uh, for sure. JR had the reveal here that Raw would be in Seattle the night after Mania. So I think this is kind of the first one that's like same mm-hmm. city and they kind of make a big deal about it. So I, I don't like I, the rough Mania is Mania has already been a thing since like 97, 98. But it felt like um, this is the first time where they're like creating an atmosphere within the city for all of them. So that was kind of cool. Uh, King really hypes up Christian's kind of glow up. Said he's to discover this mean streak. He's found a good buddy in Jericho. A lot of talk about Hardy being conflicted. So it really felt like they're feeding off his like real life issues going on right now, where he's like struggling mm-hmm. backstage and stuff to really figure out what he's going to be. Um, and I was actually surprised Christian beat him clean. I mean, it was a good win for Christian to beat him clean. And it was fine. It's all both guys get some spots in. The crowd was in and out of it, but they pieced it together. They didn't have a lot of time. I went two stars. Like, uh, there was just a fine TV match. Mm-hmm. Right. And this could be, this may be my anti-raw bias coming in at points where, 
Right. I just feel like the like Raw in general just feels kind of lifeless at times, and I feel like it kind of takes away from the matches. And maybe it was a, a case of that, but well, yeah, yeah Jeff is, like I've been listening to your mm-hmm. show, but I haven't been watching, right? So I'm not as like worn out by the presentation of a lot of these. So yeah, I'm guessing maybe some of that stuff didn't bug me as much as you know might have been bugging you. Right, and it's typical Jeff at this era where it almost seems like they're going to do something with him, like oh, he's mm-hmm. going to be Shawn Michaels' buddy, and then he just kind of. You know, just goes back to losing and fading away. It's kind of what he does at this point. So, was it was. Uh, we'll continue on. Eric speaks with Blaine Storm uh, backstage. He says that uh, Storm and Morley are going to be the second line of defense. And as we'll see, this is going to become sort of a uh, Morley's going to take the place of Regal in this tag team as time goes on. But as we said, as we continue to rise up the ranks, so the second line of defense will be Storm and Morley, and just yep. them trying to keep it keep. Um, in the viewer's mind that Stone Cold's coming. Like, so after every match, like, they just want to keep this at our in our heads that Stone Cold's coming. Storm in jeans. Uh, was like Kramer when he wears the jeans <laughs> at that one side belt. <laughs> Completely caught me off guard. <laughs> See, Lance Storm in jeans. Was not ready for it. Casual Lance Storm. Yes. Casual Fridays. But he, but he gets them off quick because uh, – our next match is going to be him versus Spike Dudley. So um, a decent chance that was pre-taped unless he just uh, ripped him off. Uh, and well, that was a uh, storm. Morley. Uh-huh. Had, didn't, I think Morley had tights on, didn't he? Right. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is, uh, yeah. <laughs> did I, I got this completely wrong. I have, uh, I put in my notes storm versus Spike, but anyway, it's yeah, Morley it's versus Morley. Spike. Yeah. Morley's <laughs> chief Morley. Sorry. Respect. <laughs> Morley says that if the uh, the Dudleys interfere, they're suspended. So now that he's kind of getting back in the ring, I guess they're going to maybe do this whole deal where he has like this authority to put, mm-hmm. you know, whatever steps that he wants on his matches. But and if the spike wins, the Dudleys will be reinstated. We get a uh, Roy Jones Jr. reference. I guess there mm-hmm. must have been like a uh, I'm not like a uh, boxing historian, but I guess there must have been a Roy Jones Jr. fight. Well, they said it. He uh, went up in weight. Weekend. Yeah, he went up in weight and mm-hmm. won. The, I kind of remember this when they were saying it. Like, he went up a weight class and won the heavyweight title, even though he wasn't, like, that wasn't his normal weight. You could probably get the cowboy on here. He can break it down for you. But I remember that being a big <laughs> deal at the time, that, like, he went up. Um, he was always, like, pound for pound, like, but he was, like, in the, the lighter weight division. And then, for whatever, I forget if they, I forget why he ended up going up a level, but he does. And then he ends up winning the title. Right. But uh, this is a typical Spike match. I mean, it's just Spike getting his ass kicked, as he always does. Uh, I thought Morley had some good aggression. Uh, his forearms, I thought, looked really good. Spike always bumps, like good impact, just always splatters all over the mat. And uh, like I said, he gets handled pretty easily by Morley. Uh, he wins with the money shot. And um, again, I I've said it before, I'm kind of over this whole Dudley's-Morley feud, and I feel like they're just dragging it out. I mean... It's cool to see Spike take some big bumps. Morley looks good. Maybe they're just trying to ease him back into more of an in-ring role, but I don't really know much how... I guess it just keeps things simmering between them, but it doesn't really further the storyline or mm-hmm. the feud that much. Like, And I feel like the feud just needs to end anyway. It's kind of run its course. So I just go... I, I went one on it. It almost felt like a squash to me. It was a squash. I went one as well. Uh, I thought the finish looked pretty good. That power bomb was pretty good. Morley counted the Dudley dog into that. The um, one thing I noticed about Morley was how jacked he was and like very tan. So I don't know yes. if he's just mm-hmm. taking the push seriously or what, but he was like really 
I mean, this is, I mean, he was always really cut like his Val Venus and stuff, but he really looked like yoked coming out here and that like he had a right. good tan. So you could tell maybe like he knew this was a potentially his last chance, like a major push. So he was taking it pretty, pretty seriously. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, just a squash, like most of the time I talk about Roy Jones. So it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned in the last episode, and maybe it is because they're moving him back in the ring and they kind of want to show off that he's in ring shape. But mm-hmm. like it had me wondering like when he's gonna get back in ring because on the last one I was like, damn, he is yeah. <laughs> he looks jacked. So so I guess it makes sense because it does seem like he's moving back into an in-ring role. But yeah, pretty cut and dry there. Uh Christian is backstage. He bra- brags to Jericho about uh, his win earlier. Jericho says he has a little surprise for test and then Bischoff shows up and he wants their help with Austin too. And of course they are, um, they're pleased to do this. And then Jericho says that he will break Austin just like he broke Stacy, uh, <laughs> last, last week. So, uh, and it's his payback and, for, you know, uh, no way good, out because Bischoff mm-hmm. kept Sean away during his match or whatever. So like he says, like you owe me, but Jericho's like happy to do it. So. Right. Yeah. They had a little deal. So, Again, just like we said earlier, just shore it up the uh, defense. The funny thing is that this is not going <laughs> to spoilers, but it's really not going to matter anyway. Who all these lines of defense are as we see how it plays out, but it uh, it leaks us uh, makes for some okay backstage segments. All right, we'll go to our now our uh, women's match of the week. It's going to be a tag this week: Trish and Jackie versus Victoria and Jazz. I never noticed before. I don't know if I just didn't hear it or they didn't use it. But I never noticed uh, Jazz's theme was like this little, uh, I guess, like jazz horns in the background. Uh, I never really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I kind of dug it. It's all right. But uh, JR calls Victoria a bipolar Jezebel. So he's uh, being. Uh, I wonder how that reacts against the other Jezebels. Like, women. is that worse than a normal Jezebel? Is it like just a. You know, maybe we feel bad because she has a mental condition as long, along with being a Jezebel. Right. This is before Jennifer Lawrence, you know, taught us in a, you know, Silver Linings playbook with bipolar, you know, mm-hmm. enlightened us all to it. So it's a different time. But um, definitely I thought this match had the most energy of any of, any of the matches so far. Like they were really going at it. They worked a quick pace. Uh, Jackie's kicking Victoria in the face. Jazz has a nice drop kick. Uh, but of course, King has to do some weird tangent about jazz being related to James Earl Jones. I think he's trying to say like, haha, she sounds like a man or something. Right. Yeah, definitely. Just some kind of cringy King shit. But, uh, I thought Trish had some solid fire when she comes in the hot tag. I really like the spot where they do the, um, they take jazz out with the baseball. So I thought it was really well-timed mm-hmm. and uh, I thought the finish was pretty cool. They had a nice little reversal sequence where, uh, Trish kind of escapes the sunset flip and then pins Victoria with kind of a jackknife roll up. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was kind of the most energetic match and most entertaining that we've seen so far. And I ended up going two on it. And it made me wonder, like, are we moving back to Victoria versus Trish? Because the past few weeks, it seemed like they were leaning, like, maybe getting away from Trish and going Jazz Victoria. But now Trish is kind of picking up the win. So not really sure where they're going to go with this. But two stars, I thought this was a pretty good match. I feel like this is an underrated little stretch of the women's division. Uh, I know Trish isn't quite there yet, but she's better like she's growing 
post Victoria feud. Uh, when her and Jackie come out, it kind of feel like the mega powers of the division. Like, oh my god, they could actually both work. <laughs> um, and then like Jazz is always really good too. So seeing her back was good. Um, I like this a lot. I thought the finish was great. I thought the energy was awesome. Like all four of them are flying around the ring, not like laying back at all. It's like they knew maybe they had a little more time than usual, and all four of them were getting a shot to go out and shine. I thought it could add even another two or three minutes and it really still clicked because uh, they really never slowed down. I mean, besides King being an idiot, I thought the rest uh, was fun to, to watch. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I went two and a quarter and it was it kind of made me think like, OK, well, maybe we're in a little stretch of positivity in the women's division right now um, where it's like almost overlooked and how solid it was. And it's only going to grow too. like I think Gail Kim's on her way soon and a couple others. So mm-hmm. I think we're actually hitting like a sneaky forgotten stretch a pretty good women's wrestling in here before it kind of tapers back again. Yeah. I want to say that at this point, Gail Kim is maybe doing house shows. Like they're kind of warming her up to, to, to show up. So we may see her soon. Right. So, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was, yeah, my favorite match so far on the show, but, um, yeah, but, uh, we, again, back to Austin, morally wants Austin. So we have another of, uh, Bischoff's henchmen, Wants to go after Austin, but more importantly, we had the coach. He's knocking on the Rock's door, and uh, so Rock comes out, and the first thing he asks is, "Are you on crack, Coach?" <laughs> uh, Rock says that he should come back on Wednesday, and uh, tells him to wash his ass and get out of his face. So, well, he also the says, "Wash your uh, ass, line." The yeah. wash your ass is great, but he also says, uh, "Get your Rock wannabe haircut," and he goes, "Who cut that, Ray Charles?" <laughs> yeah, right. And then yeah, he doesn't go, "Go Ray- wash your ass." <laughs> But it's like this. So right, we're gonna get to more of it. It's like, but this era of rock is. I know it's so beloved because of the, the Hollywood stuff and just like him being such an asshole. But the quick manic, like, this is the closest we got to like coked out rock. Like, he he moves mm-hmm. so fast and he's so jittery. But it's like he, it's like he has fifteen thousand jokes in his head, but he gets them out so quick without feeling like he's mush mouthing them like he's still they all still hit it's just but it's so rapid fire it's incredible it's just, he hit like five killer lines in like 30 seconds like you have to like pause it yeah. just to digest how good they all are and, and they all yeah, nail- he's got like a veep it's like the veeps veep writers room yes. is like in rock's head Like, firing these things off. Yeah, he, he's so good. Like, I, I think especially, too, he stands out because, like, you see, like, the Triple H promo earlier, mm-hmm. and it seems so kind of stilted. And, right. like, he's got all these lines, and he pauses for, like, eight seconds between him. And you just get rocking. Like, he probably did think of this stuff before, but it just seems like he's going off the cuff. Yeah. And it seems much more uh, spontaneous. It's, you know, and you kind of said this when we were pinging back and forth while we were watching it. It's like... This whole show, and as we'll see it play out even more, just like shows you why Rock is, would you say, like a top 10 guy and Triple H is like a middle of the back guy. I mean, it just is Triple H is, yes, a top guy, but he's never going to be the top guy, you know, as a worker. And this is why, because like Rock here just completely outclasses him. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we head into the Rock's uh, glamorous dressing room, which I, I thought was a cool detail. He's got like yeah. a leather couch. His dressing mm-hmm. room is huge, and he wants his guitar, which is another thing I like that they've they've shown him kind of fucking around with the guitar. But it's like obviously they're trying to put this in our head. He hasn't done a whole lot with it, right. but they like it, it's like too obvious that they keep putting the guitar out. Like we know it's got to be leading somewhere, but 
And he says um, he wants to sing a song and soothe uh, his soul. <laughs> it's like a fussy baby or something. Like he needed, like, a, I need my guitar. I'm going to sing a song and soothe my soul. He sees Hurricane behind the curtain and then he, he does, he takes off his shades and, like, does a double take, thinking he might be hallucinating. But it is a hurricane in his, in his uh, dressing room. Um, he calls Rock out for letting Eric go after Austin. Uh, Hurricane does and says that, you know, if, this is the guy you're trying to call him out. You really want to be the great one. Why are you letting uh, Why are you letting Bischoff do your dirty work? And, dastardly, uh, dastardly Rock, work, he said. <laughs> Rock doesn't even care about that at first. He just wants to know how long uh, Hurricane has been there. He talks about tossing him out along with Mayor McCheese and Grimace uh, and the rest <laughs> of the McDonald's is, so- crew. This is what sets the rock apart, right? Well, first he's like, how long have you been there watching the rock walk around naked? Um, and then he goes, the rock tossed your Hamburglar monkey ass out with all your friends. <laughs> and the Mayor McCheese name drop is what makes the rock so great. Because he does say Ronald McDonald and Grimace after. But a weaker man would have started with them and never mentioned Mayor McCheese. Leading with Mayor McCheese right. just sets the tone because <laughs> it's such a ridiculous fucking name. And the way he, like, his inflection is yeah. so good on it. It is like, I was dying. I watched the whole thing twice. Because I'm like, yeah. it's so good. Right. And he's just like, like <laughs> hamburger monkey ass is good. And then, yes, with all your friends, Mayor McCheese. <laughs> such a ridiculous <laughs> name drop to lead like anyone else would have said Ronald McDonald and Grimace, but working in Mayor McCheese was was clutch. Right. Uh Hurricane says he heard him scream when Booker T eliminated him, and Rock says, No, 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 he tripped. Uh <laughs> then his phone rings, his flip phone rings, and uh he uh he answers that and he says, uh, <laughs> he said, Oh, it's nothing. He knows you because <laughs> he just keeps telling Hurricane that he's nothing. He says, look at you. You have braces. What are you doing? Going to homecoming. You're selling band candy. Leave the rock alone. Um, he says you are. Uh, he, uh, he goes, look at those braces. What are you, president of the student council? <laughs> right. What are you? Uh, he says, um, completely serious. He says, well, I was screaming. That was the Scorpion King's battle cry. He does the little, like, I, I don't know the Scorpion, but he does, like, the, ah, to, ah, do, ah, or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> Is do you even know what that means? A hurricane says that behind the curtain he saw that the scorpion king has a tiny ding-a-ling. <laughs> and uh Rock's facial expression when he says <laughs> that he has a tiny ding-a-ling, he looks so caught off guard, like he's <laughs> he becomes so defensive. Uh but then Hurricane gets serious at the head and says that the rock is full of crap and kind of but it's obvious too that like that Hurricane is like getting into his head. And right, like, you yes. know, he does the whole he does all the Mayor McCheese stuff, but then mm-hmm. in the end, Hurricane kind of gets the last laugh on him by right. saying, uh, Scorpion King has a tiny ding-a-ling. <laughs> well, and he but, says, uh, he goes, I know yeah. you're a coward. You're afraid of Austin. And you want Bischoff to do, this is where he says, dirty work. Dirty work. Um, and you may talk tough, but you're a pussy, basically. And yeah, I think that hits rock deep, but he's like, no, like I'm the fucking rock, man. But yeah, maybe he realized he wasn't acting like it. And this is how you get a guy over while still kind of being mm-hmm. an asshole to him, right? Like the freaking hurricane who's really for the last year, just been a low level guy, um, you know, cruiserweight, low mid card comedy act it is believable sparring with the rock. It is getting him over. Like everyone remembers rock and hurricane in these three weeks stretching mm-hmm. where they're together. And it's such a dichotomy to how triple H is, Treating a mm-hmm. guy in Booker T, making him look like a goof and pants in front of everyone, 
Whereas Rock is making the Hurricane look like Piper to his Hogan, you know, whatever. It's like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and again, Rock is just so good when he, when, uh, when at first he's like, you're not a superhero like the Scorpion King. Like, I just love that he's like, <laughs> you're be a Scorpion King, like he's real. And then when he says the tiny dingling, Rock does the, uh, which he did a lot during this time period, the easy big fellow where he like pats his leg to describe his penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, easy. And then, when Hurricane leaves in the end, he like rubs his leg again. He goes, "You're still the king." To his dick, uh, which is just like it's just so unneeded, but it's so good. I thought this was like next level. The gimmick is awesome. You could tell, you could tell he wanted to do this because the crowd started turning on him in that last run. He showed up at that Raw anniversary and got booed, and you could tell like he just probably just was dying to have this run because he is fully embracing it and he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And Hurricane's great too, like as a foil. Kudos to Helms because he really stepped it up and like crushed it. it. It's just madness. It's it's like it's like we entered Aaron George's mind for like three minutes. <laughs> like this is what came out of it. <laughs> pure chaos with these two guys just out of nowhere. From May and McCheese to the giant king penis, it was just all super well done. Right, and it's like so entertaining. But then there's also like they they do both because they have the the funny parts to it, but there's all, then they throw in the actual like legitimate, Mm -hmm. you know, are you afraid of stone cold? Like you're being a coward. And, and like you said, even though nothing's going to come of this, not like rocks fighting hurricane at WrestleMania, it's just Mm -hmm. kind of these random segments, but he's giving more credence to to hurricane than triple H is giving to the guy he's supposed to be building to like a, a, a money match at WrestleMania and like rocks putting over hurricane more and giving him a chance to kind of like, like it's almost like they knew like hurricane you know kind of did have some chops to do this kind of stuff and rock's mm-hmm. like look let's just do it and you know do your thing it's almost uh, like rock is doing it on purpose to show up triple h i don't know if he was or wasn't but it feels like he's doing it to prove that he could get anyone over and like be selfless in the meantime it's like he's trying to even if he's not trying to show up triple h it's like he's trying to set a template of how to do this stuff for everyone else to see like even this giant movie star arguably right now probably the biggest star in wrestling at this point, I would say more than Austin at this point. Right. So mm-hmm. can come in and put himself at this level doing comedy segments with the hurricane back. So like then that you should never be above getting other guys over or working at this level of gimmick and everything else. So it's almost like he's trying to, yeah. of how to, how to behave. Yeah, it was great. Though. It's an excellent segment, but, mm-hmm. um, all right, so we cut to Jericho. He's got a uh, a shitting grin on his face, so he's obviously got something going on. Uh, he said he comes out to the ring and says he's sorry to Stacy that she's stupid enough to be with a terrible cheating boyfriend, and he has some footage from girls going wild that she needs to see. Um, we see Tess signing some girls' chest. Um, oh God, he's such a goof. <laughs> Stacy's pissed. Yeah. So what? I signed a few boobies. Not a big deal, huh? <laughs> you say <laughs> boobies. <laughs> Yes, he's a he's like a seven I didn't foot tall, jack enormous man. Yeah, what a big deal, Stacey. I saw him some boobies, uh, <laughs> and then he kind of gets mad at her, saying so it was her idea anyway. So Jericho kind of you know getting over on. on well, the then he says day. like yeah, hey, come, we're gonna be uh, at the paper, the yeah. girls' small wild pay per view in ten days, and there's gonna be a lot of boobies there, and you better deal with it. <laughs> 
he's a grown man seeing boobies. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But anyway, uh, Jericho's pleased with his handiwork and uh, Test is pissed. Mm-hmm. And he sprints down to the ring for the for our match here. So, the uh, Test revenge match. Uh, Test does have some good aggression here, but it mm-hmm. kind of slows as uh, Christian comes down the ramp, uh, forcing Stacy down the ramp. Um, she's wearing these, like... Uh, <laughs> Like, uh, between the walls of Jericho that he put on her last week and then her coming down. Because she had these, like, huge baggy, like, bell-bottom pants on. It just, like, and her legs are so long. She looks like those people that wear the, uh, with the stilts. And they have, like, the big <laughs> pants on when they're in the stilts. That's what she reminded me of. Well, but, she was uh, trying to kind of sell the back as she was coming out. So it was, like, kind of awkward. Right. Yeah, she was doing the Russo, um... What is that in, in Beyond the Mat when he's telling Sable to sell the back? And you see Sable doing the the, uh, the little sell job. But uh, yes. Tess continues with the strikes. He hits a side slam, kind of his, you know, I thought he was aggressive. It didn't seem like he wanted to kill him necessarily, but it was fine. But mm-hmm. Jericho finds his way into the walls. Tess powers out of that. He hits a pretty sick powerbomb on Jericho, though. I thought it was a good spot. Yeah. Uh, Jericho goes for the turnbuckle pad. He gets that off, grabs Stacy. Uh, off the apron, but as he's doing that, Tess hits him with a full Nelson slam. Christian then distracts the ref, which allows uh, Jericho to hit a low blow and hit a breakdown for the uh, the win. So that was a decent match. You definitely feel like Tess has leveled off. Like they wanted to push him, and then they kind of backed off, and now he's sort of just as we're going to see in the you know the post match segment, he's kind of just a tool for Jericho to get some heel heat by. Mm-hmm going after Stacy and, and Tess is sort of just the in between here. Uh, you know, so that's, they, they go for the concerto on Stacy and then, you know, Tess goes with the rescuer and he ends up taking it. So again, he's just sort of the in between man here. And uh, so I, I went two stars on the match or we'll, we'll talk about the post match after, but uh, pretty basic stuff. It's like he comes in, Tess comes in hot, but then the heels sort of get over on him. You may call it a full Nelson slam, but to me, it'll always be the uncle slam with <laughs> the Patriot used to do. Uh, that's why I have it in my notes. He gives me the uncle slam. Uh, I, I liked, I, I like test aggression here a lot, actually. I, for once, it felt like it wasn't a guy who was angry, just like walked out and started a match with no, like he comes running out he's cutting through Jericho. And honestly, for a while, it was kind of a squash. Like Jericho got very little offense mm-hmm. in there uh, through most of the match. Like test was just completely mauling him. Um, I thought the finish worked well too. Because Jericho Christian have been you know, working well as a heel team. Uh, they pull one off again, screwing Tess, who just gets overwhelmed by the numbers. He's trying to protect Stacy, Just kind of getting outfoxed. So, again, I liked Angry Tess. I thought this is some good aggression out of him. Just completely wrecking Jericho before he got overwhelmed. Uh, I went, ended up going two and a half. I, don't know, I liked it quite a bit, actually. I thought, mm-hmm. again, just like the women's match, we had some energy pumping out and this felt personal and they did a good job making it feel that way especially tests who can sometimes just be kind of there i thought here like you can really feel his anger uh coming in i guess historically if you look at him he's kind of he kind of does his best work when he's got like a woman that he's defending like like stephanie in 99 like that was his best stuff you know like angrily defending woman here defending stacy i know it's short-lived at the moment but i don't know maybe that's his goal is uh or his uh whatever I'm trying to think of, but what's meant to be for him is to defend these women right. and, and have anger and aggression against the guys that are well, using them. When you're stud like Tess, you, you pull the ladies that he does. I mean, it's only natural. Very true. I mean, yeah. He's, he's done. He did well for himself, but um, our true hero is coming out to save. I mean, he couldn't handle it. So the real hero HBK comes out. Uh, 
But this time he ends up super kicking Christian and Jericho gets the best of him, busts him open with the chair. Um, and this is the point where I feel like they're fully pivoting into this feud. They've kind of been, it's sort of been simmering and they kind of did the little, this test thing, the Jeff Hardy stuff. But I feel like in this segment, they're moving on to like fully embracing the HBK Jericho feud. Uh, mm-hmm. Jericho stands over him after he busts him open. Sean's kind of groveling a little bit of a, the facials. This is definitely some over the top Shawn Michaels facials here as he looks like he's like, like passing out. Like it's a little bit dramatic, but uh, Jericho stands over. We scream at him, demands a match at mania and at mania, he's going to end his career. So Sean can't really accept because he's not in any state to, but uh, yeah, good. Uh, similar what we see from uh, the more recent angle stuff that we've been seeing on SmackDown. They're really getting over trying to lean more into Jericho's kind of vicious heel side and not as much of his goofy kind of mm-hmm. whiny brat side. So I thought this was very good. And it kind of sets us in motion to really fully embrace this feud. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, I mean, besides the kind of goofiness of Test standing with his head down, <laughs> the concerto is pretty <laughs> nasty. Uh, they really smack him pretty good. So that that resonated. And then again, they're kind of abusing Stacy. I thought, you know, Sean gets a great pop. And then it's that, that chair shot to bust him open. It was really good, too. Um, and I thought Jericho was on point, right? You tried to play hero one too many times, and I'm going to end your career. And all he's wanted all this time was him to, to beat him and prove to him that he's the new Shawn Michaels. So now they're going to fight a mania. So the mania hype intensifies. I thought this was a really well done segment uh, because I just expected Shawn to come in and run them off. I wasn't expecting Jericho to destroy mm-hmm. him with a chair. So that was definitely well done. Agreed. So, uh, yeah, very good. And it's going to kind of be the first real thing Shawn's done in a while since the Triple H mm-hmm. stuff. So they've done a good job of kind of making him still feel special at this point. Um, but we uh, we see three in a warning backstage, and they think this is their shot. They think it's Stone Cold arriving, <laughs> but it's actually Goldust, and he's looking for book, book, booker. booker. Uh, um, we see uh, Nowinski. So we cut back. We head to the ring, and uh, Nowinski's in the ring. He wants to see Stone Cold, mm-hmm. and that uh, Stone Cold's going to get what's coming to him because people like Stone Cold, they don't respect authority. They defy authority, which causes anarchy. And uh, as he's giving his little uh, dissertation, the Dudleys come from the crowd and hit him with a 3D. So, I, I mean, it, I guess the, the the Dudley stuff is almost not even getting a, much of a crowd reaction anymore. Like, I didn't even think the crowd cared all that much when they came out. I mean, they got like a slight pop. It, I mean, Nowinski definitely, they're, it's almost like a genius sort of character. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were going for here, where like he's just going on this big soliloquy and then he gets beat up. So, I mean, it was fine. But again, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over the Dudley boys. I don't know. I'm not that into them right now. So I guess I'm not as much. And it didn't seem the crowd the was biggest, that into it. The biggest positive was that they mm-hmm. kept it quick. Like, Nowinski didn't rant for long. Mm-hmm. They hit the 3D and out. Like, the whole thing could have been more than, like, two minutes. So that was that was a positive because sometimes this is the type of segment that can really drag on. So they hit it kind of quick. Uh, Goldust driving, like, 90 miles an hour in his full wig and makeup is pretty, pretty funny visual. I uh, <laughs> see him riding around. And he does, yeah, the full twitching and stuttering. I was just listening to that episode where you and Susa were covering the, uh, the electrocutions. Um, so, <laughs> let's fall out here. Uh, right. Yeah, so, I mean, again, it was good to keep it quick. It's crazy how fast the Dudleys got stale. Um, their run mm-hmm. of hotness is not nearly as long as you would think it was when you think of their place in history. 
and I don't know if it's because of the overexposure, like because Raw and SmackDown were so big at the time and they were on constantly. But you could really argue, like their run is like two years of of top stuff. Like January two thousand is when they kind of take off, and I would say by WrestleMania eighteen, they're they're feeling about done. They split up. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about when I was here last as far as series when they come back together. But even now, they feel this like kind of played out. It's like, all right, what are we gonna do? And they're around for like another two years, but I guess we'll see if they find little pockets of heat here and there. But it feels like they're already stale. Yeah, it's like once they lost their dance partners, they were kind of there was nothing for them. Right. Like once so, Christian yeah. Edge and and the Hardys kind of broke up, but there's just not much left. And they tried to bring them back, and I think I think it was possible if they would have maybe had something better for them when they returned. But I feel like they sort of forced the return. Mm-hmm. Like they just made him return without anything really worth re- making him return for. Like they just went for the cheap pop, and then they kind of had to live with it. And I think that's like the mm-hmm. the weakness of mm-hmm. building a gimmick around like one thing, like the table. It almost overwhelmed them. Like it was such a, it was so cool for a while at the time. But then it's like all that became was just people want to see them put the people at the table. Like that was it. And like no one else was interesting. In anything else they did besides the table. Right, like their characters, that like the team is not even. Besides that, that novelty, it's like is the crowd really even that into them? Like they like to see them, but they're not super invested in them. Like mm-hmm. probably don't care about them that much. But uh, we cut back to Jericho. He and Christian are kind of doing as they do a lot of times and kind of just gloating over their handiwork. Jericho wants to finish HBK HBK off, and Christian calls him the heartbreak, <laughs> the headbreak kid, which is a good. <laughs> corny line and the only thing they have left is austin so again all eyes are on austin and uh when he returns later and uh we will go to our next match which has been a a running theme on raw is the uh the booker t and steiner i've been covering it but i mean these raws and now finally i think they're just going to end this with the most logical conclusion which is a straight up singles match between steiner and booker because everything they've been doing has been proving that they want Booker T elevated and they're done with Steiner. Mm-hmm. So let's see if they finally uh, ended here. A late era WCW clash for us. I mean, Steiner does his move set, which at this point is like club strikes in the belly to belly. Um, I was thinking I was watching this. He almost at this point physically is like Hogan. Like he can't really bend his legs. Yeah. He's got this massive upper body very immobile and like he just can't take any offense i feel like his main problem like if he's just kind of chopping and throwing dudes he's like okay in short bursts but he just can't really work a singles match because he can't like booker t's doing his normal booker t stuff doing the kicks and all but steiner can't really sell him because he can't really bump because like he doesn't move his legs so he gets hit with the kicks and he just kind of like crumples to the ground like he never really takes a he's like a quarterback or anything it's like a quarterback that's a lot of mobility. Is it like Drew Bledsoe was last year? You know, like he can't move at all. He's just, you know, throwing. He can still throw the deep ball, but he can still, you know, lay in strikes, but he can't do much else. Right. So, like, a Booker is hitting them with these kicks instead of, like, flying up in the air and falling his stomach, he just kind of fall, like, just rolls over. So, it just comes off as real lame. But Triple H comes down and distracts. And then, this, so he distracts. Steiner and then Booker T wins with like a real rough roll up again mm-hmm. because Steiner can't move. 
So it reminded me of like when Austin breaks his neck, it was it had that kind of energy on the roll up because yep. he just kind of slowly and Steiner just kind of like stiffly rolls to the side. And so again, not doing Booker T any favors. He wins because Triple H has to distract Steiner. It's not really sure why. I mean, why? I mean, I guess they're playing off like Triple H is playing mind games or whatever, but really don't get it. Um, if he's being billed as the number one contender, you don't give a shit about Steiner anymore. Just let him pick up a good win and move on. So the match itself was rough because Steiner really can't do a whole lot. So I just want to star on it. And the booking was just kind of odd to me. Yeah, I mean, I went to, I, I thought their chemistry kind of popped back up from their late WCW days for as little Steiner could do. Um, I thought he was good throwing Booker around early. I thought Booker looked pretty good as well. You could tell again, he's taking the push pretty seriously. Uh, I like Steiner getting busted open. The the blood dripping from his eye while he had the recliner on looked pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, him stalking going with the blood coming down too. So, yeah, it felt very much like two ships passing in the night, like Steiner's cooked. But it was interesting because Steiner's the one who's getting, you know, effed with pretty much by Triple H here because he loses because of him. He stalks him. So it's like, okay, is Steiner still kind of in the mix or not? Like, it didn't mm-hmm. feel like they were eliminating him from the mix the way they do the finish. Um, and I guess this is just more Triple H mind games, right? Booker, you can't even win without me helping you out kind of thing. Um, it felt a little rushed and through the motions. It could use more structure, but um, – and the, and the finish was sloppy. So, I don't know. I went two stars. Just WCW 2000 throwback chemistry. Right. Really making Booker look like a stud going, you know, to start off this big mania feud. Really making him look impressive. <laughs> anyway. Um all right, we hit to Rock. Rock wants to talk to Eric Bischoff. Um, he asks Eric if he's trying to make him look bad. Um, there's a welcoming committee. It makes him look weak. He <laughs> wants Austin first. It's so, again, like we said earlier, it's clear that the Hurricanes' comments got to him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an obvious reaction to Hurricane that Rock is, you know, trying to pr- say like that he's not weak and that he wants uh, Stone Cold. And Eric just kind of does his. It's fine, Rock. I'll take care of it. So, again, good. Nice little call back to what they did earlier and shows that. Again, it wasn't just a, a promo just for entertainment's sake, even though it was super entertaining, but that right. it actually kind of... Pushed the story along. Right. I like when he goes, uh, I'll take care of Austin first, so when you're done, you can have what's left to make rattlestick, rattlesnake dip for chips. <laughs> uh, it's again, adding in the, the end is what makes him so good. It's like, you could have said making rattlesnake dip or rattlesnake soup, but rattlesnake dip for chips. <laughs> Such a ridiculous thing. <laughs> Gotta be chips. Yes, gotta be. It's gonna chip dip specifically. And he threatens to go back All to right. SmackDown. Basically, if Bischoff doesn't act, he's he's going back to SmackDown. He's like, they'll take me right. out. Throwing his be here. Yeah. Right, throwing his weight around, being the big Hollywood stud. All right, we now go to the uh, the Raw Death slot, which is the, uh, mm-hmm. the spot right before the main event where they just always try and kill like three minutes. So it's gonna be RVD and Kane versus uh, the Ragtag Group. <laughs> Uh, team of dreamer and snow so you mentioned earlier like rikishi this is like the uh, you know this is this is that what you were saying earlier mm-hmm. ultimate dreamer and snow look just like complete losers they come down and the snow's got the uh uh the helmet on riding in the grocery cart this is a hardcore <laughs> hardcore rules badge for whatever reason you know, it's a lot of weapon shots. There's a few cool, I thought, high spots here. Like um, RVD goes for like a dive and gets smacked in the stomach with a kendo stick. So that was a nice, pretty, uh, nice 
shot, but I can never get into these WWF kind of short, hardcore matches where they just kind of hit these mostly just kind of basic weapon shots where they're just kind of all staggering around the ring. Again, this wasn't just that because they did work in some other stuff, but that was a big part of it because that's just how they work these matches. Um, but anyway, uh, RVD and Kane end up destroying them in the end. Double choke slam, five star on uh, both guys stacked up. So, which of those cool little finish, like nice little double team and stacking the guys. But um, I want to start a half one. And um, I did enjoy, like I said, the the few little high spots we got, but it was a glorified squash, really. Yeah, I went two stars. Um, yeah, it, it was a standard dirty hardcore match no flow no story just a bunch of shots and they're all like the tepid weapons it's the garbage can cover the kendo mm-hmm. stick i mean nothing nothing too violent it was a goofy random team out of nowhere uh with dreamer and snow i mean i get what they're going for like two ecw veterans in this garbage match but i love the finish that that frog splash on both guys stacked up was sick like mm-hmm. of all the hardcore stuff they tried to do that was the nastiest most hardcore thing they did was him just like completely barreling into both guys which i thought just looked awesome so i bumped it just for that alone so two stars for me just that frog splash was worth two stars on its own agree the finish was great all right so we, we have finally reached our, our climax of this show as Eric's calling off the troops as uh, Austin flies in, like Goldust did earlier, in his mm-hmm. pickup truck going about 80. Um, the guys all clear out. He jumps out of the truck with the tire iron. And uh, at that point, so after all this of, you know, them, they're supposed to stop him, their line of defense, he just kind of, you know. Well, Bischoff kind of holds him back because of the rock he's just right, like right. don't do anything he's they're, oh true yeah That's yeah they're all kind of like let you know you ready we're gonna go get him and bischoff's like no don't do it don't do it right and so and then after this after nearly a year gone the glass breaks and austin heads down for his big return uh he gets a huge pop uh he starts by thanking the fans uh he mentions the bring taking his ball and going home he said he didn't bring a ball but he brought a can of whoop ass and at that point so kind of just giving, mm-hmm. not really an apology, but just like a, hey, you know, sorry I've been gone. It's good to be back sort of thing. But at that point, Rock interrupts him with the full-on Rock Hollywood theme and the helicopters and the whole Tron. Uh, big Rocky sucks chance from the crowd, and he warns uh, Stone Cold that uh, this is what happens when you become successful like the Rock yeah. has, that people will turn on you. Yeah. <coughs> uh, he then gives some a, a cheap dig at the Long Island crowd. You don't have enough class to live in Manhattan. Got to go live on Skank Island. Well, and even before that, though, and, he goes. Uh, the successful line was awesome. He goes, you know, listen, why you you know, thank all the fans you want? They're cheering you now, but they're going to boo you when you get successful. And he goes, not Steve Austin signing autographs at a mall in Delaware. Successful. That's <laughs> like the wrong. Yeah. Again, True. it's it's the ridiculous details, right? He could have just said. Now, like Austin at the mall, like signing autographs at a mall in Delaware, like it's so specific. Delaware, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's just that little extra details in his shit. Whether it's he's doing it or Gortz is doing it, whatever it is, it's like just amazing. Just a little right. extra comment every time. The the rattlesnake dip and chips, right? Like the the mayor McCheese, the you know, mall in Delaware. It's like all these little descriptors just add so much like vivid thought to what he's saying. It's so good. Right. And so as he does so well too, he kind of, he pivots and gets sort of serious and says he's ready to do the one thing that he's never done. And that's beat stone cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania. So he lays out the challenge and, um, 
and then Bischoff shows up right at the end. It kind of makes an odd little uh, deal for next week where he says that uh, it's going to be Rock versus Booker T next week. If Rock wins, he could either face Stone Cold or, you know, fight Triple H at Mania or something. So I just thought it was an odd pivot right at the end. I mean, it'd be very odd to do that. <laughs> like, as after we've already got both of these feuds in order. Right. It's, I don't really know what they're going for. I guess we'll see it play out next week. But, yeah, just a, a cool moment as Rock's just really returned in earnest and Stone Cold just returned. And now you see them like they're going to do the one you know, like one more time of mania, it looks like what they're going for. And it's a cool dynamic here. His rock's got this new character. He's fully healed. So the crowd's going to be fully behind Austin. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just cool. It just brings a lot of life to raw, which has felt like it's been lacking this kind of star power for a long time. Yeah. And I like too when he goes, it's going to be a showdown of the person that kicked ass and revolutionized Monday nights against Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then two, he uh, the fans try and chant along with him, and he calls them sheep. And he's like, "No, you're not going to get to chant with me, sheep. Like, forget it. You're booing me. You're not going to do my chants." Um, and then yeah, I mean the end, the end is fine. Like, I thought it was a good payoff to have Austin clean house and three minute warnings. You want to see him get physical in some way, like to do something. But then Rock lays him out um, before bolting. I thought was good too. So yeah, I mean, if you're trying to hype mania for rock Austin, this, this nailed it. I could see maybe some complaints and I think I recall some of the time, like, could you be using these two guys to put others over versus like having another match together? That feels like a, you know, just a nostalgia match. Could you put, have rock in there against someone that could use the elevation rock versus RVD whatever, you know what I mean? Like do something like that. That would make, a difference, but I think I think this is a drawing card on its own to see if Rock could finally beat Austin. Uh, you know, worked well as as a direction, considering some of the other stuff they're already putting out on on the show. So um, they got a lot done, like in this promo. I mean, you get to see Austin back, you get to see him clean house, you get to see Rock pay mm-hmm. up earlier. You set up next week and Mania, like all in this like six minutes at the end. So they did a good job. Right. I didn't mention it, but then there's just, you know, Bishop does the three minute warning thing. Yeah. They come down and they're just kind of fodder. They get stunnered and, you know, Rock runs in, they do a stare down and um, Rock gets his cheap shot and then high tails before he gets a stunner. But I guess my thing would be it's so hard to because, like, obviously we know now, but I still think maybe there's a little bit of an energy to this that. I think this with this Austin return, it does feel like it doesn't feel like Austin's returning to stick around. I don't know. There's something about it that feels like he just doesn't feel like they're like it's hard to imagine him being around past a little while. It almost feels like he just wanted to come back so he didn't leave on such a you know, in such a shitty way and that he just wanted to leave a little bit better and go out in a better way. So it just feels, I don't know, I feel like it has that energy. And maybe it's just knowing, it maybe it's hindsight, but I do feel like this, his whole return here, because he doesn't even really go back at Rock that much. Like, he doesn't fire back at him. You know, you don't really feel like much cooking be beyond this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I thought at the time mm-hmm. it felt like he was back. Because <clears throat> yep. um, mm-hmm. they hadn't really said anything about in- injury-wise. I mean, he left because... Oh, the booking. They didn't say anything at the time, like he's banged up mm-hmm. or needs time off. So, no, it felt like, <clears throat> all right, they made amends yep. and he's going to be back here. So, yeah, I, I don't recall the time feeling like 
he was going to be done in mm-hmm. a month. I mean, that's like, I would have never, I don't think at the time I, I would have guessed like he's back. Right. For, you know, I think rock felt that way. Like it, it definitely mm-hmm. felt like rock wasn't sticking around. Um, if like they were going to use him, I mean, I think the Goldberg room was already pretty strong. So I think you kind of knew he was probably sticking around just to fight him. And then you just, I think it just assumed they were going to build to like Austin Goldberg at some point just to do that dream match. So, um, yeah, I remember being pretty surprised when Austin was pretty much done at mania. Right. I guess maybe like, not that he would be done that quick, but that it was, I guess like borrowed time kind of thing, maybe. Right. But I, I think I was surprised when he lost at Mania. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so that was kind of the sign. Like, oh, maybe he's, yeah, maybe he's done. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so that kind of wraps up Raw again. I thought the Booker match seems like an odd detour to, to like an odd way to end that segment. It felt like they would just want to end on it being about right. Rock and Austin, but we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, this was a an odd Raw because obviously there's really there's jack shit in ring. Like you mm-hmm. get nothing really that you would consider a match that you'd probably ever want to see again. We got a few decent ones, but the storyline stuff was pretty solid. And Rock is just so. I mean, he's just really carrying it. You get the Austin return. Um, the Booker T Triple H stuff is like, you know, very disappointing and bad and a horrible start to this. So it's and I think there just feels like when you watch Raw, there's just so much empty space to it. Like it just seems like so much wasted time. Right. It seems like it moves at pretty at a snail's pace. So it's it's a hard one to grade because the you know there's some really good stuff and some good storyline development, but there's so much just worthless shit on here. So I, I tend to go maybe I probably go like a five on this, just because the the star power of the Rock and Austin stuff mainly. Yeah, I went a little higher. I actually went six. Um, <clears throat> again, I don't think I'm as worn out on the product as you are at the stretch watching it. So right. I, I enjoyed it more than I expected to. Uh, I would assume if I watched one from before Rocket Austin returning, it would feel a little bit different. But mm. the Rock stuff was super entertaining all throughout this. I thought the Bischoff stuff was pretty good, too. Like all the backstage segments. I, I like seem to like all the matches, like a half star more than you do. So, um, right. There's that. And then, yeah, they paid off Austin coming back. I thought they accomplished a lot. If you look at what they did on this episode, they set up Michael Jericho and Rock Austin really well. And they at least invested the time in setting up Triple H Booker, whether, whether it works or not. Um, <laughs> but they really accomplished a lot in this two hours. Like they they set up three top matches for Mania with a lot of focus and time. Right. And it's like I always say, they just got to get better on Raw with the filler. Like they have to have more right. entertaining less empty filler that just kind of feels like filler. It needs to just be like, it can be filler. It's fine. It doesn't really have to lead to anything, but just make it at least entertaining. Not just Just have longer matches. They got guys that can wrestle. Right. Right. Exactly. And uh, so we'll move to SmackDown, which is usually a bit better at that. So this will be the March 6, 2003 SmackDown. And so this is the one. um, So you were at the show, correct? In uh, Bridgeport. Yeah. Yep. So that's why I, uh, requested to do this one um yeah it was at the show so i was living in stanford at the time and just it was a, one of the weirdest ones at Avengers. So it was just me my wife girlfriend at the time and mark claire <laughs> the three of us that went um i don't i hadn't even met like scott yet so i didn't really have too many other wrestling friends in town and no one from home was going to drive up like it wasn't super far but it's like a two-hour ride so no one was going to come up mm-hmm. on a tuesday night for a SmackDown taping or whatever, you know, like to drive in and drive back out. So I remember just, you know, like Claire, you want to go? 
And he shows up. So he went to go. And this is so vivid in my mind. I don't know why I know his life this well. But he went to go see Old School that day. And I should make sure I know when that came out. Because I'm pretty sure it was Old School. I'm going to fact check myself right now. So I don't get shot. Actually, I think think it's actually been like in the... I think they've had promos, like commercials. Okay. For yeah, it came out February twenty first. So, yes, that just <laughs> yeah, came out. In in these like Raws and SmackDowns, they've had old school commercials. Okay, so he he went to go see Old School with another buddy of ours, and he got drunk to go. Like, I don't think he was. I don't. I mean, I don't, it, it might. He was either high or drunk. It was one of the two. So he shows up at my apartment. He got dropped off because he couldn't drive, and he was already like. To the wind. I mean, just like gone, right? So like, okay. So I remember I had a few drinks and I think I had you know, a girlfriend drive. So we go to, we get to the show and we have like floor seats. It was just the three of us like on the floor um, behind the commentary team, like on the back. And I have a picture of Claire smoking a cigarette in the bottom floor. I mean, you couldn't smoke in the freaking arena at that point. He's just like lighting up <laughs> cigarettes sitting there smoking. And then we go to get food and we go to the concession stand. He buys like a hot dog and he legit tipped the girl like 20 bucks or something for the hot. Like this is how drunk he was. <laughs> like tipped her 20 bucks. Then we go to turn a walk. He drops the freaking beer. He had to go back and get other beer. Like, I mean, just, just a disaster performance from him. It just, he's so, he was so hammered. And I remember the next day or whenever I saw him again at work and I'm like, dude, like, you know, you tipped this guy. He, he had no memory of any of it. I'm like, you legit gave the girl like a $20 tip on a hot dog at the concession stand. <laughs> Just a sh- complete shit show. Um, I did remember bits and pieces of the show. Honestly, the stuff on the show that was big time stuff that I did not recall being live. So my memory's super spotty of the show itself. I, I'm guessing, I think I was kind of buzzed too. I mean, not at his level, but um, it was fun. Like, I remember having a good time. For sure. Like we had really good seats and it's a Bridgeport's like a pretty good arena. It's small. It's, it's like the it's like Providence, so it's kinda small, so it's easy to see everything. Um and he was just so entertaining. He was just a shit show, like just yeah, lighting up cigarettes in the arena, <laughs> tipping tipping concession stand workers, dropping beers everywhere, or dropping hot dogs. It was it was a good time. Typical Tuesday in Bridgeport. With Claire, yes. Um. <laughs> I think he probably slept over. So that or we drove him home. Uh, I, mean, I know he did not drive, so he might have just came back to our apartment and, and passed out. Was my guess. Glad you guys kept responsible. Of course, um, yeah. we had a lot of but, late nights. Uh, we used to order TNA pay-per-views uh, and just get hammered on a Wednesday night, and he would just like pass out on the couch. It was, it was good times. <laughs> well, you guys had a pretty entertaining show. As we'll get through these matches, I thought these were we get quite a few matches. So we'll start off with one. It's going to be Ray. Versus Jamie Noble versus Tajiri in a uh, triple threat match. And this will be uh, for the number one contendership for the Cruiserweight title. So, yeah, kind of a, I would dig in this as like a uh, matchup, like kind of a low key dream uh, yeah. trio here, like three guys that can all go. And um, they do, I mean, the match is only like five minutes, but they go at like a breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like they go kind of go with the typical triple threat structure, but like they're so good at executing their spots. Like it's so, so good. seamless. Like just yes, like cutting off all the pins and stuff. They hit a tower of doom spot. Like I said, you get all your your key spots from every guy. Like Tajiri's doing the tarantula. Ray gets the six one nine. Just 
so many sequences, like too many to list even for five minutes. But one that stood out to me is like um, Ray's going for a springboard to Jerry just kicks the piss out of him in midair mm-hmm. and Ray just kind of falls all over the place. Um, there's a springboard. Uh, so I, I believe it's um, like uh, Tajiri has a pin and Ray springboards yep. and leg drops him on the pin. Just so yeah, many. Yeah. Yeah. Like cool, tight uh, sequences in this that it's. Um, yeah, it's really awesome to watch. It's hard to do it justice just going through it, but Ray ends up winning, as you would think. I would. I mean, it seemed like when they were going into this, mm-hmm. it seemed like the guy you'd pick, but he kind of steals it with a roll up at the end, and which I think is a good decision because it's gonna. I, you definitely think they're gonna go with Matt and Ray, and I think Ray competing for the cruiserweight title elevates the title because he's just coming off that run where he's pretty much working with the main inventors in the tag scene, like with angle and right. stuff. So I think him being in the cruiserweight division here kind of elevates the title. So real fun match. And I thought, um, a good decision to make right number one contender. So I ended up going three on this. I thought it was a really awesome sprint. Yeah. I went three and a quarter. It was kind of a hidden gem. <laughs> it was, it was really mm-hmm. good. Uh, the, that springboard splash to break up the pin was awesome. Um, and like you said, the pace was so, everything was so the chemistry and so smooth, just one into the next, into the next, to the next. That electric chair superplex got a huge pop. That looked really cool. Um, and I agree, like Ray getting the win made a lot of sense to get him back and help elevate the cruiserweight division. Him and Hardy are two big names to help. You know, it's a good choice for the Mania cruiserweight match. And this was like a throwback to the old WCW days, opening the show with a red hot sprint cruiserweight style. So I went to read a quarter. I it, was, it was a really good match. And just already the flow of SmackDown is so different. Like, you're going to talk about it, but we're right into another match, right? It's like like after this. And it's, it's just the in-ring action is just so much more smooth and flows so well. Uh, and the commentary focuses accordingly as well. Right. And the energy is just like we get... Like, I feel like when, on Raw, you notice when they have energy, where the energy on SmackDown is consistent throughout the yeah. show. Like, it never really dips in ring. Like, everybody's coming in and kind of going full blast. And so, like you said, we go straight into the next match. It's going to be Los Guerreros versus um, the FBI. And this, uh, it's going to be Palumbo and Johnny the Bull. Nunzio is going to be on the outside. Um, so, this whole uh, Cole and Taz are going back and forth. And so, Cole's asking, so Taz, what, what is, uh, you know, the FBI, what are they? He's like, oh, this guy's from the neighborhood. Guy's from the neighborhood. Like, I guess trying to code for, like, they're, you know, in the mafia or whatever. And then he says, what do you think of Los Guerreros? He goes, well, well they lost Guerreros. Uh, you know, they're Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, he doesn't know what to say. Like, it's like Cole's trying to set him up for something. And he's like, I don't know what you want me to say. But it's kind of a funny Tazism. But uh, the Guerreros kind of, there's a good dynamic in this and that, you know, uh, the FBI kind of had the size, but you have the Guerreros kind of outwitting them. Like in the early going, they lure uh, Chuck outside and then they kind of double team them. So playing up the lie, cheat and steal, and also just their cleverness, like knowing that they're going to be overpowered. So they're, they kind of use their craftiness. Um, Palumbo's hair here is odd, <laughs> but he looks like a, uh, like short haired Scott Hall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's odd, but he, it's a good, like a uh, fall away slam when he gets in. But uh, Eddie keeps grinding and uh, makes his comeback, lands a Rana, and then uh, gets Chavo in. Chavo hits a big Chavo dropkick. I thought Chavo was, I don't know how you feel about him in this one, but I thought he was um, pretty good by Chavo standards. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Sick hip toss on Eddie. He took a nasty Mm -hmm. bump um, 
when he goes to uh, I forget who it was hip tossing, but they like go out of the ring. He just kind of lands on his slams his hip on the apron and a kind of nasty bump. But uh, um, kind of a um, a rough looking finish though. Like so we get um, Johnny the Bull power slams Chavo, but then as he's going to pin. Uh, Eddie Chavo gets out of the way and Eddie frog splashes him, but lands like right on his head. Like instead of splashing his body, he just kind of splashed his head. You could tell they kind of cut the camera angle to try and hide it because yeah, it looked a little, I mean like it looked cool, but it didn't look Mm -hmm. like uh, it didn't look good for, uh, for, for Johnny, but yeah, pretty fun contrast here of styles. Like with the FBI being the power, like kind of being the power goons and then, the Los Garros using their teamwork and stuff to uh, to overcome it. So I ended up going two and a half. Another fun one. Yeah, I went two and three quarters. It was a lot of smooth offense, a tag work. It was good use of the FBI. Like they're perfect for this being, you know, pure heel goons, but they can work and hang with dudes like the Guerrero. So it didn't feel like they were a step behind. They could they could go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crowd is super into the Guerreros right now. Like they're they're really over. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was well done to keep the show churning. The Guerreros showed off their teamwork. I know you didn't touch on it, but um, I can mention it. This is the the attack after the match, right? And I think the mm. way they did it was so good too. Like Nunzio puts his leather coat over Eddie's head, and then Palumbo mm. decks him, and then just beat the shit out of Java. Like it felt like a real mugging. So this is this maybe one of the more so legitimate quick. presentations. It's so quick of them. too yeah. that I enjoy. Like they don't waste any. It's almost like they're just waiting for the match in to jump them, which is cool. It, it like it. This this version of the FBI was pretty good when he, when they compare it to like you know the it just felt like real street toughs like the way they would act you know um, just the way they attack and fight and, and smother and brawl so no this is really good I, I I really dug this it was a fun tag match and again the show just keeps churning like we had, we started with two back to back really good matches right and they're perfect role players like they have a easily understandable gimmick. Like they can go in the ring. You don't necessarily need them to be like amazing or anything, but they kind of get the job done. They do what they're supposed to do is be a good team for the girls to fight. So it all works out. Um, but we, uh, we now head to uh, Paul Heyman. So he's obviously fearing for his life because um, he has to face Brock in the cage tonight. So he's with the whole crew with the, all of his uh, clients, but Kurt does not seem worried. He said he's going to use his brain because he fights smart and that he's going to use his personal relationship with Stephanie McMahon to fix this. So he heads to Stephanie's office, and he goes to speak with uh, Stephanie and her bangs. But uh, before he can try and smooth things over, Heyman has to start running his mouth. Um, he kind of goes like he's going to you know, make some kind of offer, but mm-hmm. he asks Stephanie for one small concession, and he just completely breaks down and grovels at her feet. Kurt is disgusted with him. Good reaction. Act like a man. <laughs> right. What are you doing? Uh so he gets Heyman out of there, and then he kind of tries to seduce Stephanie's uh, mm-hmm. removing her coat. He's being very tender with her, uh, and she seems to be into it. She takes her hair down, and she even admits that at one point she did have a thing for Kurt, but now it's time for business. And he needs to stop screwing around with all this and think of Brock, because if Brock defeats um, Heyman tonight, the next week Kurt's going to have to face him. So quite a stipulation, because if, if Heyman loses like you would expect him to, we're kind of getting the WrestleMania main event early. So, but uh, just good Kurt stuff here, like his facial expressions being disgusted at Paul and then switching real quick, trying to be like a Casanova, just doing everything he can to try and smooth this whole issue over. 
Yeah, this is really good. Him, him like, Heyman, get out of here. Let the real man handle it. Heyman looks like such a bitch, uh, which is, is just really good. I like, too, when they're in the other locker room. Like, Heyman's little crew is pretty pretty fun right now. Like, Big Show, A-Train, mm-hmm. Team Angle, Angle. Like, it, it's a good little stable that kind of is forgotten the time um, with this group. So, like, you know, he's crying to all of them. And Angle's like, fine, I'll do it myself. I'll take care of it right now. And him... Yeah, just thinking he's like gonna woo Steph so easily. Uh, it was funny too because he's and it's a good callback to the old days. Like it was a nice nod to their mm-hmm. stuff from two and a half years ago, right in two thousand when um, they had a little little fling going on. So that was really good. And I like that next week is in Pittsburgh too. So they're playing off of that, like in Angle's hometown. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess we'll we'll get to it, but I remember the rumors that day, like going into this. You mentioned it, that Angle had the messed up neck. Like, that had leaked. Mm-hmm. And the rumor was he may have to lose the title on this show. So I thought for sure, like, okay, they're going to do something where Heyman, like, the title gets on the line and Heyman's going to lose it for him. Or So, like, it seemed like they were headed that way. And then when they announced the, sh- the match for the next week, it's like, oh, here we go. Angle's not going to make it to Mania. He's going to mm-hmm. lose the title. The rumor was that they were going to hot shot and turn Benoit heel and have him challenge Brock for the title of mania as a backup plan. So right. it definitely feels like a pivot. Like they need, like they need to pivot quickly. Cause like, it seems so random that she would just be like, and it doesn't even, I mean, again, you get why they're doing it, but it wouldn't make, it doesn't make sense in the way they built Stephanie, who always wants to have like the best show and the best product. Like, why would she just give away our main event for right. WrestleMania? So it's kind of like, yeah, it definitely feels like uh, like we had to do something because something's not right. Yeah, you it definitely felt that way. But so I don't know if they were really living week to week and trying to set themselves up. Like maybe they thought, OK, let's set this match up for SmackDown and see how Angle is in a week and we'll decide then. Or were they mm-hmm. leaning into the rumors and doing red herrings? So like, oh, well, everyone thinks he's not going to make it. So let's let's lean into it. Um, I think it's maybe the former. I think they really probably, and again, you'll see what Meltzer says as you go, but mm-hmm. it feels like maybe they were living week to week with it and just saying, okay, let's get this on the books so we can build to it. And if next week Angle is a real mess, we'll get the title on Brock and we'll change Mania. And I think they had enough of a card built around that, that even though it would have sucked to lose that match after all the hype, like you're going to have Hogan Vince, you're going to have Sean Jericho. You're going to have Brock Austin. Like, if they had to change to Brock Benoit, like, it's not really the, that big of a deal. Maybe it doesn't mean event in that case, but um, I, I think, like, it would have been okay enough to survive, given how deep of a show this was going to be. But I, I remember that being the rumor for sure. Like, I went into that night thinking, we may see the title change. Right, and that would still be a killer match, and and yeah, and and if Angle does decide he can go through with it, they can always pivot and just do some screw job or something next week if they need to, you know, like yeah. shoot up and get out of it. So, yeah. But uh, it's interesting that it's so in flux. Uh, but all right, we will head to our um, our cruiserweight champ Matt Hardy's to be taking on Kidman. Um, and so this will be the, you know, this is for the title. Whoever wins this will have to face Ray. Our Matt facts of the night are that Matt enjoys Playboy pictures, and he considers himself a sex symbol. Playboy um, pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the Otter Cross. Um, I always like uh, Kidman in these matches. I, mm-hmm. I was watching this. I was trying to describe what it is I enjoy, but it's like, and I, 
I said I like his elasticity. <laughs> like he's um uh, he just always seems so like rubbery in everything he does, whether it be his bumps or his offense, he's just yeah. so all over the place. Like when he bumps, he just kind of flies all over. Um his offense seems really uh you know, you kind of feel his agility in everything he does, which is good. Taz is talking about the nut butter again. He's talking <laughs> about Matt's uh, weight loss. Uh, good dynamic here. Matt's all over Kidman because he, they, they're they really playing up that he's like the bigger, stronger guy in these cruiser matches. And uh, Kidman's always good as playing from underneath. Like he hits a nice enziguri. Like he has these really good hope spots. Good little quick hit offense to, as uh, hope spots. Matt, uh, he ends up getting Matt on the ropes, so Matt gets to stooge with the ball shot on the ropes. Uh, and again, just good energy from all these SmackDown matches. They, It just feels like these guys are out there, like, really going. And uh, Shannon Moore ends up being the difference. He saves Matt from the shooting star at one point, so Kidman dies outside onto him. But um, Kidman ends up taking the bait, chasing Shannon Moore around, and then uh, ends up eating the uh, twist of fate after knocking Shannon off the rope. So again, another good match. Good. I like that. They got over like building up that Shannon Moore can kind of be mm-hmm. the difference in these, like as the heel lackey, that's going to be, you know, if, if it's a close match, he's going to be the difference because he's going to do some shitty thing. That's going to distract someone. And then Matt's going to steal the win. So, and then it sets up the mania match. We were talking earlier, Matt Hardy versus uh Ray is a pretty, like you said earlier, like two, pretty big names for the for the and, WWE and that's going to be like division. that's going to be like one of your lower end matches on this WrestleMania it shows you how stacked the card is <laughs> like that's a pretty big mm-hmm. match you know like that's probably going to be like your 6th or 7th best match on the card so we're not best but 6th or 7th like you know name value wise star power wise this shows you how deep this card is going to be um, I, I like this match too I, I went 2.5 I feel like they could have used a little more time uh, to get into the story, but they kind of clicked with what they had to go with. Kidman is always great. He should always stay at the top of the Cruiserweight card uh, just because of what he can do with anybody. And he's, of course, got the awesome theme music out there as well. Uh, I felt Taz was, was a little ahead of the uh, game with the nut butters. And he used to talk about it a lot. <laughs> of time. Right. I feel like that was like more of like a mid to late 2000s thing that took off, like the almond butter. And like now it's like everywhere, right? All the different kind of uh, nut spreads. But I think at the time it was still kind of like, uh, oh, we have to go to Whole Foods to get the almond butter or the different nut butters. It was like they had them in those little machines mm-hmm. that churned them out. So it wasn't like something that was everywhere at that point. So Taz, a uh, cutting edge on the nut butter uh, gourmet foods. <laughs> Always. It's got the inside source, Johnny Numbers. Joy Numbers, give him the, uh, the nut butter. But uh, I, went, I went two and a half on it, too. I thought it was, uh, yeah, I thought it was real good. Another fun match. Like, they just keep hitting. You know, nothing like out of this world, but just good, solid, entertaining TV matches. Right. Well, so far, the worst right. match on SmackDown mm-hmm. would be the best match on Raw. Right. Right. To this point. Exactly. Um, but Matt would enjoy uh, the next uh footage we get because some behind the scenes of Tori's playboy shoot uh you know it's what you expect just just her i mean boobing it up uh the the only thing other than that that i took away was the the photographer was mr andy fry i believe they said he had a very <laughs> pronounced lisp when they uh at the end when he started talking it's like she's just so um amazing with the <laughs> i don't know it was very <laughs> he had a very um <laughs> he had a very um uh, distinctive voice i'll say yeah, I mean it was, it was fine. I mean the big reveal in the Playboy cover, yes, Andy, Andy the photographer. Um, so next week we'll see that cover. So, 
Right. Big stuff. All right. We then see Josh Matthews with uh, Nydia talking about her trip to the Playboy Mansion, which actually is her trying to uh, sneak into the Playboy Mansion. Mm-hmm. As we see the, re- the remote footage, the security guards catch her. Um, she tries to talk her way in, but she says to tell Hugh Hefner to watch Girls Go Wild next Thursday on pay-per-view. And she'll give him two reasons to pick her as uh, the next Playboy model. And then back at the arena, she says she wants a body challenge. She wants to see who looks better naked, her or Tori. And then she shows, as Tess would say, she shows Josh her boobies. Mm-hmm. So, and he's shocked. Josh Matthews is, yes, <laughs> young Josh Matthews. And this is this is pretty funny stuff. Nidia is good at the, the comedy shit like this, the self-deprecating stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the security calling her Nadine made me laugh. <laughs> it's like, All right, Nadine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, and they're obviously really trying to hype this Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view <laughs> the next week. So, um, God, it's such a product of its era the girls go wild videos and all that stuff it's crazy um so yeah nitty is trying to is trying to usurp this playboy cover if she can right she wants to get her chance with andy photo shoot <laughs> mr andy fry um yeah because you mean cole and taz like they do this whole little where these go to the desk and they're talking about it michael cole and his girls going wild video collection mm-hmm. um but anyway, Hogan is ready to confront Vince. We see him walking from uh, backstage. He's tired of the games, and he's not just going to walk away. Vince could do whatever he wants, but there's a long-standing issue. And so Vince arrives now, so we're in the ring. Uh, so Vince is doing the classic, like Vince is out on the ramp, and mm-hmm. you know Hogan's in the ring. Big asshole chant. Uh, and <laughs> Vince, he's so good at playing the crowd because he says, no, actually, the asshole's in the ring. <laughs> uh, he says, Hogan, Hogan isn't a man. He's a shell of a man. And uh, I always, I like through all of this, like, all the random, like, cutoffs. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, he's just a shell of a man. He'll go, shut up. <laughs> yeah, they kept it. They, it felt like a real verbal. This, we'll, we'll talk about it at the mm-hmm. end of it. it. This felt so real. Like, they, they did a, like it, they did such a good job making this feel like a legit argument. Like, it wasn't like, I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk. It was, they mm-hmm. kept just interrupting each other because they kept ag- getting aggravated. And this was, we talked about Booker and Triple H, right? Like, Booker should have been like, shut the fuck up while you're talking and interrupting him. Like, this is mm-hmm. like, each of these guys get so aggravated with the other one saying they, they're not having it. They keep cutting in and, and serving back. Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. Like, they can't them. hold it in. Like, yeah. right. They're so pissed. They, they're not just going to. Yeah, it makes it feel much more organic, right? And so Hogan starts claiming that Vince did not create Hulkamania. It was the Hulkamaniacs that did. Um, and I like all the details here. like mm-hmm. Because Hogan, I think I think he was strong in this because he he didn't always fall back on the generic Hogan stuff. Like, he actually went real. Like, here he says, like, I paid for your vacation home and your pool and, right. you know, all this stuff. And uh, then Vince comes back saying, you believe your own bullshit. Uh, it could it could have been anyone, and Hogan comes back at him and says, "No one worked like he did." This is the famous uh, botch that is cut out, of course, but where Hogan says the thing about the where he said, "You if you think I was just a right gay guy who was so that's this that famous botch, but it's cut out here. But uh, Hogan wants uh, Vince to prove it in the ring. Vince says that there's no chance in hell. Vince hates him because he left him for WCW and tried to put him out of business. And they even go as deep to uh, mention the mm-hmm. steroid trial. He says, you testified against me when so I was the federal government. My life. Yeah, the trial of my life. 
uh, Hogan interjects and says that he saved Vince and that if it wasn't for him, he Vince would be not only screwed, but he'd be getting screwed in prison. Um, I thought this was a very Vince line, too, and he says, uh, I made you a part of Americana. He <laughs> uh, said, Vince. I plucked you. He goes, uh, you're a son of a bitch. And I gave you your first break. Your name plucked you from obscurity and made you a household name in the fabric of Americana. And this is the facts. <laughs> Such like uh, such uh, epic Vince stuff, like over the top purple pros from Vince. Well, and this was such a good line too, because he says, uh-huh. "Like mm. we're not gonna have a match, we're gonna have a fight, and mm. it'll be the first real fight you've ever been in." Like that's such a good dick <laughs> at Hogan, who's you know the complaints of him is like he's oh a shitty worker, he can really break an egg, you know, like whatever, right? Like so mm. it's like such a good like kind of. This is how you shoot without being gratuitous about it, right? Like, you've never been in a real fight. Mm. Tells you that they think Hogan's just like a fake wrestler, right? But without saying it, right? Without saying, like, you can't wrestle, you can't work, right? It's like, yeah, you've never really fought anyone. Yeah, without doing the, like, real obvious, like, winking at the audience. Just kind of real subtle throwing like underneath stuff. And then I like how he closed it too. Like, this is another insane Vince thing. He's like, if you lose, you'll never wrestle anywhere again. Like, he's like, I'll, I'll sign it. We'll figure out a contract. I'll, I don't know what we'll do, but you'll never wrestle anywhere again, which is a good, like insane, you know, Vince thing. But Hogan says that, yeah, um, Vince better train, eat his vibe and he damn well better say his prayer. So yeah, I was with you. I thought this was awesome. Like bringing in the history, but without like without going so far that it, you know, like trying to be too inside baseball with it. Right. Like, um, right. Bring in the history. And this is not, you know, I, some would criticize like, well, you know, fans don't care about all this shoot stuff. But to me, this is real broad. Like this is it's like the biggest level. wrestler ever. Arguably. It's, right. It is like, stuff everyone knows. Like we all know that Hulkamania started with the WF or, you know. Or you could argue, if you really knew, like, no, it kind of started the AWA, so Vince shouldn't take credit. And then also, we all know that, yeah, Hogan testified against Vince. Like, this is all well-known stuff, that he left for WCW and left the NWO. Like, it's not this, like, like sneaky backstage, like you said, like, wink-wink mm. shit. It's, it's stuff that's common knowledge. Yeah, like, it's not like you have to be reading, you know, Meltzer to know this. This is, if you're anybody mm-hmm. who's been somewhat into wrestling you're probably familiar with this in some form so and then like you said earlier i love the way that they the back and forth they made it feel organic they didn't feel like they were just reciting their lines and yep. i'm gonna wait for you to finish like it felt like two people having a heated argument that like want to fuck each other up which was what it should be so yeah and I, I think it, it, I mean, was. it was long but i never it, ne- it never felt long to me no and it felt real like I, and the ending line is so good where vince is like I'm going to end the Hulkamania. It's like, I'll kill it. You know, Hogan says, accepts. He said, I waited my whole life. And Vince, and he, Hogan starts to say, what are you going to do? And Vince is like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear it. And then Hogan says, you shut up. I'm going to tell you one thing. You better t- train, take vitamins and say your prayers. Like, that's such a good line to pay off to it. Um, mm-hmm. I, this was awesome. Like, everything felt real and deep-seated. It rang true. And it, I think, I think it was real. Like, I think both these guys harbor these feelings, right? I think mm-hmm. Hogan's tired of Vince taking credit for making him when the truth is he's the one that made Vince into a billionaire because he was the star that, you know, he takes 
offense to those that say anyone could have been Hulk Hogan, right? And Vince kind of says it here. I could have made anyone you. Didn't have to be you. And Hogan says, no, like you couldn't have. I'm, I'm the only one who's me. So that felt real. Um, and you could, you know, Vince deep down is still pissed that Hogan testified that Hogan left for, mm-hmm. and worked with Ted Turner against him um, because he did try and bring him back in 94. Like, so like all this stuff is real. And I think, I think, yes, they're being pros and doing it for money and they're working together mm-hmm. brought him back. So they're obviously okay. But it felt like a little bit like, okay, this is how these guys really feel. And, it, and right. Vince there's a point halfway through where Vince's inflection change. I wish I'd made note of which comment it was where Vince's inflection changes from growling Mr. McMahon to like a really upset person. <laughs> like, like it's, mm-hmm. I, it might've been when he starts to talk about creating Hulkamania, like before it, he's doing the growling, like, but then there's like one point where he just is like talking like a normal person. And he's just like aggravated. Like, Yes, like when you're really in an argument and you start to really get pissed off, and it, it changes. If you go back and rewatch it, there's a minute where he just changes from the growling, you know, Mr. McMahon to just like backstage Mr. McMahon arguing with Hulk Hogan. And you can hear him start talking more normally in it. It's like he gets like, okay, now, now I'm serious. And it just like that's when it really ramped up. And it was a great problem. I had no memory of being there live for this. And it was so great. I wish I do because it's a cool thing to say I was there for was like this iconic back and forth between these two guys. Might've been when Claire was dropping the beer. Yeah. I could have helped him get the napkins. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it, the whole segment's great. And I, Hogan's really good. And I, I was pleasantly surprised because he held his own, like, you know, Vince can do this kind of stuff, but Hogan didn't fall back. Like in the rock stuff, I felt like you saw his weaknesses. Like yeah. when he just kind of falls back on these cheesy lines, but this, and maybe like you said, it's because there's real feelings there. He was able to kind of channel something that felt more real, which is yeah. good. but yeah, it's, it's an awesome way to, it's definitely, they're definitely going somewhere with that feud. But, um, all right. We now see some footage from earlier, which I thought was weird that it, so it's like him and taker training, I guess, like, they're saying so we're kind of it's kind of revealed that part of the Nathan Jones Undertaker relationship is that Taker's been helping him train. But it's weird because it's like before the show, there's people there because like I guess it's early on when the doors are open, but not everybody's there. So it's like weirdly a crowd there while they're training. Uh, but anyway, the what happens is that Nathan, Nathan Jones gets too intense and ends up um, like Taker has to pull him out because he's getting too aggressive with the guy that he's training with and like starts getting too violent. So they're trying to get over that Nathan Jones, I guess is like a loose cannon that he's too intense. But Mm -hmm. so we see that that's sort of the dynamic between those two. Yeah. I thought this was fine. I I liked it. It felt different. Um, We never see a presentation like this where, yeah, the crowd is filling in. It's before Mm -hmm. the dark matches. They're just kind of working out. Um, Taker knows Jones can get it done. Like it felt different. So again, a nice touch. It's like, this is something they could have just done in an empty arena or backstage, but they, they tried to give a different vibe to it. So it was neat. Right. And so we have Taker coming out for his match and Nate's going to be with him. He's going to be facing, um, Taker's going to face a train. I believe big shows on the outside too, but throughout this whole match, it, it's kind of been building, but the new style for Taker, I feel like has really refreshed his matches like him doing the MMA stuff. And I think in, since this return, 
after the rumble, he's really working it even more. Like he's always moved well for a big guy, but I think his new moves that kind of brings some more variety and some mm-hmm. more movement to his matches and makes them a bit more engaging, which is good. Um, big, uh, power slam by a train, which I think he's been good in this run too. Like he's got some good power moves. Like he's all of his stuff has pretty good impact, um, which I enjoy, but taker comes back. He hits old school, uh, Train gets the derailer, but uh, Taker pulls him into the triangle choke. And at this point, that's when uh, Nathan Jones and Big Show both uh, start to come into the ring. The ref gets chucked, just completely thrown. And then it kind of breaks down from there. Nathan Jones throws some forearms at Show, and then Taker jumps in. And it just kind of ends in a DQ. But, yeah, I kind of enjoyed the match for what it was before the DQ. Because, um, like I said, I kind of enjoy Taker's new style with the strikes and working in the... um, the submissions and that sort of stuff. It just makes his matches move a little bit better and not feel like such a slog. Um, but yeah, 02 into 03 already. I mean, it's been a good year for takers. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much this entire run I've been doing the pod. I've enjoyed most of his stuff. Like he's having good TV matches. I mean, awesome pay-per-view matches. And so, yeah, this is kind of just adding to that. So you Definitely at this point, you feel like they're building to a tag, like a pretty obvious tag, like Taker, Nathan Jones versus Train and Show. Uh, we'll, we'll see if that ends up happening. But I went two and a quarter. I thought the match was pretty good. Yeah, I went two stars. Uh, and you're right. This is this is a really good year for Taker. Uh, he's really upped it, stepped it up after the real battle one. Like he's really turned it around. It was the heel turn that really got him going. Uh, and I'm with you on Train. I think this is one of his better stretches in the ring. Uh you know, and this was fine too. The um, uh, derailer looked good, and then that counter into the triangle choke was a really well done spot. And the post match with Jones made sense too. So yeah, I'm with you. It seems like they're setting that up for Mania. It made sense the way they did the ending. They kept it quick. All the big power spots connected. So yeah, two stars to me. Uh, I, I think the only argument you could have is that it just feels like just not a big deal for a Taker Mania match. And I know. We weren't right. quite to the point yet where it was Taker was the big draw. Like, who's he going to fight? Like, we still, you know, we're a few years removed from different stuff. Or, like, a boss man in the cell and whatever. Like, like it hasn't been, like, mm-hmm. this iconic run. But the last two main years, he's fought Triple H. That was a big match. He fought Flair. That was a pretty big match. This feels like kind of a step down. Like, it, it just feels like he's not a top mm-hmm. guy right now. But But that's fine because this show, again, is so deep that you can get away with maybe just sticking him in here and not having to rely on him to draw a big spot and and also maybe help get Nathan Jones over in the process. It's weird to think of Taker mm-hmm. having a tag uh, match at Mania. Like, it's, I don't know, it's kind of odd. Like, I remember there was chatter at the time, like, maybe the streak would end without him getting pinned. Like, maybe Nathan Jones gets pinned or something. Um, or if it was a tag, it wouldn't count. So, like, it was interesting that they may have, they were this close to doing a tag. Uh, and honestly, almost twice in three years, because I know one, they almost did him and Kane against Haku and Rikishi. That was the plan, too. So it's, it's just weird mm-hmm. to think. If you look back now, he's never had. It's always been single stuff. So um, it would have been interesting if they ended up going that route. But Jones ends up not quite being ready. So Right. And I feel like maybe that's in their minds what makes it maybe on Taker's level is like the novelty of Nathan Jones and him coming in and them thinking he could be a big deal, but in retrospect, he like, you know, it doesn't really work out that way. Right. So it, it, it just kind of ends up seeming like a, one of a lower tier taker match. So, 
but uh, Train and Show get kicked out by Stephanie for the the same these antics, and mm-hmm. so that's going to leave Heyman. Um, with less protection for his match later. So and she was like, what about my bags, my clothes? She goes, I'll have brought to you. <laughs> Where's my black uh, jeans? I need my yes, black I need those. Cargo jeans, my tank tops. All right. So we're going to go now to a tag match. It's going to be the recently returned Rhino, who's kind of taken Edge's place, teaming with Benoit. And they're going to be facing Team Angle, Haas, and Benjamin. Um, Again, I kind of like the dynamic they have in this because you sort of have three technicians in there and then this monster rhino. So -hmm. it's kind of cool because when he gets in, he kind of just completely changes the dynamic of the match. Uh, Like he just gets in there, starts wrecking shit when he comes in. But real tight, quick reversals when you have all these guys in there. Um, uh, Like we said earlier with the cruiser match, just seamless transitions in here. It's amazing how quickly... I mean, I know they've got experience from working in, in OVW or whatever, but for guys who are presented as rookies, they are really polished, uh, Haas and Benjamin. But um, I like Team Angle. They go with the story of uh, working over Rhino's neck, given that he's just coming back from the neck injury. So I'm just another guy <laughs> who had to have neck surgery. Uh, using the double teams to neutralize him, like kind of overcome his power. Um so I thought the heat segment was pretty good on Rhino for them. Again, it's almost like they know they have to be relentless because if they just let up on him for one second, he's just a monster that's going to destroy him. But Rhino's able to escape. He gets the hot tag to Benoit, which is always good. Launches Shelton into the post. He hits the rolling Germans. He ends up hitting the headbutt, uh, but Haas is able to save uh, Shelton on that one. Uh, Haas of pain on Benoit, which I love the Haas of pain. It's such a... Um, such a killer submission. Uh, but Rhino ends up saving there. And this is where things just kind of break down, turn into a full on fracas. Uh, but Shelton ends up eating the gore and neutralizing him. And then Haas eats the cross face and ends up tapping. So real banger match, like, uh, you know, nonstop. I liked what Haas and Benjamin did on, on Rhino in the heat segment. It was a nice little pivot. Cause you would expect Rhino to maybe be the hot tag guy. And they kind of switched it around, but yeah, just, four guys who could go. And um, the only thing I would say about this, I went three and a quarter. I thought it was pretty good, but it is weird that they keep having, you know, and I know they're not losing to like low tier guys, but Mm -hmm. having Haas and Benjamin lose these matches when they're champions is a little, you know, me and Logan talked about how when they lost to Brock, it's one thing because he's Brock, but now he's, you know, they're losing the Rhino and Benoit. You maybe want to get them wins just to kind of keep them strong. Right. Is my only right. My would be my only critique. But the match itself is is real good. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I went three and a half stars. Um this the the pacing was so good. Haas and Benjamin are so so good already. It's it's unbelievable uh how ready they mm-hmm. were when they got there. Their teamwork is so crisp, it was battering the neck. I like that story. You know, Cole mentions Edge's neck surgery, says this Monday, and then ties it right into Rhino, right? Rhino just missed 16 months with his. So it's like just getting over the severity of the neck injuries and how bad they are right now. Uh, that Rhino's just coming back from his as Edge is going back out. And, you know, we might not see Edge for over a year based on that. And all, then you got Taz on commentary who has a history of neck issues, right? Um, and he's talking about that. He's He's talking about his past and and gives good insights about the surgeries he's had so i thought that was really good too the hot tech from benoit was awesome uh the headbutt looked really good um haas really wrenched in the haas of pain and then rhino makes the great save and the spears the shit out gores the shit out of shelton which looked awesome and i didn't mind the finish here because only because it's benoit like he's pretty much a top guy mm-hmm. 
And so just Team Benjamin, I mean, Team Benjamin, Team Angle, just hanging with them <laughs> to me was like enough with these guys. If they were losing to lesser teams, I'd probably have more of an issue. But them, uh, them standing in there and going toe to toe with Benoit and Rhino, and then losing to the Crossface is really no shame in that for rookies. So mm-hmm. I thought that was good. Um, Team Angle's great already. Rhino and Benoit are a nice pit, a nice mix to mix in that snap power offense of both, but like Benoit more technical, Rhino more brute. I thought the heat segment was good working over the neck and then Benoit wrecking shop. So, uh, and a cool moment with the tap too. Like that, that was cool. So I, I, this is all really good. I really, again, another gem on this card. Yeah. Team Anglar. I mean, having a great rookie rookie here. I mean, I, it's like you said, amazing that they're this good, this quick. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible. All right, we go to John Cena, who's continues to have uh, is still pissed off at Brock Lesnar. I was trying to figure out where he was. These Cena things are getting more and more odd. Like it looked like he was in front of like the the rubble of the Berlin Wall or something. I don't know where he was. He had like a yes, and then he had like the uh, playing card and his bandana or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he just wraps over Brock. The line I remember is like I'm mega hard, never Microsoft. So I'm um, just that was a great line keeping yeah. his. Keeping his keeping his beef with uh, Brock going. Yeah, that was good. He's got the cane too, selling the the attack, so that's good. Yeah, so just another good scene to wrap, keeping him fresh in our minds. Um, we then see the uh, the match card for our main event with Heyman and Brock, um, which I love that Heyman's finishing move is none. It was a nice little, uh, <laughs> and his uh, facial expression too was pretty good. Just shocked Heyman, um, but. Uh, right as we're about to go into it, Kurt's trying to rally his team who are in shambles right now. Uh, he stops Team Angle from fighting as they're pissed that they lost their match. Paul is, you know, cowering in fear. And he tells Paul that he's going to win this, uh, which I don't know if Paul believes. We then get the uh, South Africa tour video package, which, uh, yeah, they were selling out some marinas in South Africa. But uh, and then I almost felt like they were stalling with all this. Like, I was like, can we get... Right. Like for a moment, it, the pace kind of dropped a bit for how quickly SmackDown usually moves. I was wondering why they were kind of cramming all this in. Like it felt a bit like they were stalling. But uh, any any thoughts on any of this before we get to the main event? No, it was all pretty straightforward stuff. Right. All right. So we'll get to our main event, which is Brock and Heyman in the cage. Uh, Heyman slowly comes down with Team Angle. Uh, but uh Angle actually runs ahead. He runs up the cage, distracts Brock, which allows team to jump run in. They go in and jump Brock. Uh, he cl- Brock clears them out, uh, goes after Heyman, who's pleading with Brock uh, for mercy, but Kirk cuts him off at that point. And so they really build in this kind of cat and mouse thing where Brock's got to fight off all of, uh, you know, all of team angle to try and get to uh, Heyman. Brock, uh, bust Kurt open on the cage and it's actually a pretty brutal shot. He throws him into like the apron part of it on the outside. He kind of hits the pipe. So, um, Heyman, uh, Kurt's busted open. Finally, Brock is able to get to, uh, Heyman, but Kurt, uh, goes up on the cage and, uh, sorry, gets into the cage and clips Brock's knee. Uh, angle hits the angle slam, throws Paul on him, but that's not enough to pin Brock. He puts the ankle lock on him, but Brock again breaks out of that. Brock and Angle are brawling. Paul tries to scurry up the cage and get out, but uh, 
Brock cuts him off, finally gets the F5 on him and, and uh, wins with the one, two, three. I didn't really rate it as a match because mm-hmm. it almost felt like more like a segment with all of the run-ins and stuff. But I did think they built the drama pretty well with this, like in the way they built up all the spots and the cutoffs and stuff. You almost thought maybe Heyman was going to get out at the end by yes. escaping because he was pretty close to it. And so when they finally do get to the conclusion, it's a good kind of um, a good conclusion. Like it's a good little catharsis the way they built the drama. So I think overall it's like a, you know, a match segment, like a, basically a, um, an angle disguised as a match. I thought it right. was executed really well. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't grade it either. Cause like you said, it was more like a segment, but I thought it was excellently done. Uh, Brock gets a big pop when he comes out. I like Heyman with the suit on, but with the fist tapes, oh, it was a pretty funny touch. <laughs> So, uh, and right away, Angle and Team Angle are attacking. Like, you can see their plan. Like, it's no DQ. They're not going to mess around. Lesnar was super violent, whipping Team Angle into the cage. Uh, so that looked really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Kurt just keeps saving Heyman over and over. Every time Lesnar would battle back, he'd take Kurt out. By the time he'd get to Heyman, Kurt would be back on him. Even when Angle's busted open for one of the cage shots, he just keeps coming back. Uh, you know, Angle blocks one F5 with a chop block, Angle slams. You start to think, okay, they're going to do this and maybe Angle will be okay. Like you said, like you just start expecting Heyman to somehow steal a win. But no, they end up just going with the, the clear finish where Brock just fights off Angle. Uh, the finish was really good. We just kicks him out of the way after going for the F5. Uh, it hits it and wins. So big pop. Really fun stuff with Lesnar just destroying anyone in sight. Uh you know, Heyman was awesome bumping. Angle was in manic mode, is really good as well. And again, a strong close to show that accomplished a lot. So, like Raw, SmackDown got a lot done to set up Mania while also leaving the door open to potentially have some, you know, stuff go down next week, right? Like they're leaving it on the table that this could be um, maybe, you know, getting the title off of Angle because of the injury and they're setting us up for it or that it's buying time. Either way, we'll see. But. Yeah, and it does make you want to watch next week. I mean, whether it affects Mania or not, mm-hmm. I mean, if you see this, you want to see what's going to happen in Kurt's hometown for the title. So it is a good hook for next week. But, yeah, all really well done. Continues to build that whole storyline and into so, show strong. Uh, yeah, so this one, SmackDown, I think you definitely get the feeling that things are in flux because you have, you know, edges out, so they're trying to fill that void. Yeah, uh, You have the angle stuff. There's a little bit of uncertainty with that. But they're still building the stuff for Mania. You have the cruiserweight stuff. You have this, like, this is still building, whether they know where they're going. It's still engaging. I'm still into it. And besides that, and I think the key difference, and I say this every time I watch these, it always seems like the filler is always just much more entertaining. Like, we just yeah. got a lot more, even matches that didn't really mean a whole lot were just more fun. Like, they just had more entertainment value. They just didn't seem like they were there for nothing. So, for yep. me, that gets it a tick higher, and I went 6 out of 10 for SmackDown. So I went way higher and I don't yeah. think it's even the nostalgia of being there. Cause I just don't remember it as much for being there. Um, I went seven and a half. Like I, I, I don't see much wrong with this show as a pro mm-hmm. wrestling nine. minutes. like the in-ring action was all really good. We had a great match in the tag. Um, we had storyline progression. We had an all time promo segment. Like even the Nidia mm. stuff was funny. Like to me, there was like nothing down on this. Like I, no segment to me felt way. Even take her train was pretty good. And all that. So, like, nothing felt slow. Everything made sense. And I thought they did a really good job building Mania on this card. Like, they came out of this with way more heat on Angle and Lesnar. 
And Vince Hogan was super heated up on this one night. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you reestablished Rhino and Benoit as, as the challengers. Maybe they're going to challenge the tag titles, perhaps, in Mania. You set up Ray Hardy. You had a great opener. Like, to me, this was this is a really good show. Mm-hmm. Honestly, rethinking, I might bump it to a seven because I don't know if I took into account the Hogan stuff. I feel like that might have. I think as I was rating it, I had so much of the Heyman stuff in my brain. I'd kind of almost forgotten that we got that great Hogan stuff. So yeah, I could see like a seven thinking back to that. Cause that was like a really awesome promo. So right. I'm with you. Yeah. I thought it was a good show, even given all the issues they're dealing with, which is, you know, says a lot. Um, so, um, we'll get to our awards best match. I think we're probably on the same page angle, uh, team angle versus Rhino Benoit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Best moment is, you know what? Like I, I feel like I'm supposed to say the Austin return, but I might go with the, uh, I might go with the Hogan McMahon segment, honestly. Yeah. Uh, rock and hurricane is close, Mm -hmm. but I think, yeah, I think Vince Hogan was it. Uh, It's hard to boil the rock stuff down to like, Yeah. mm -hmm. yeah, I think the rock stuff, it's more like a full performance. It's hard to really boil what he did down to like one moment. He just right. kind of owned that show almost. Um, best show, I won't smack down. Yes, easily. Yeah. LVP, this one's pretty easy. It's uh, I'm going with Triple H, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's hard to go against it. I mean, it's, you know, at, right when that promo started, I think I messaged you, go, oh, God, it's that one. And then it still was Ugh. way worse than I remembered it being. Like, it was like, oh, this... You know, it's one of those things, like, uh, is it just, like, after time, as you watch it, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was worse. I mean, it was way worse than I remembered it being. I always thought it was just, like, him saying, people like you. I didn't remember, like, right. all the, other the stuff. Yeah. Right. And it's just a double whammy of going that route and then not even making Booker look good at all. It's, like, it makes it, like, doubly bad. Because then you can't even justify, like, well, yeah, but look, we gave Booker, you know, it was just to build him back up. No, it wasn't. Yep. Uh, MVP, I went with Rock. He's just, it's almost hard to imagine what that show would have been like without Rock kind of booing it. Uh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, top five other standouts. Kurt's always great. I thought Team Angle were good. I thought Jericho was really good as, you know, doing the heel stuff and the, you know, going after Sean, showing his viciousness. Um, Vince, for sure, um, in that promo. That the Guerreros were good. Uh, do you have anybody else? Uh, I think Benoit was great in his match, and Rhino. I mean, they both are really good. But yeah, I mean, I would say like the top of the top would be Rock, Vince, Hogan, mm-hmm. Hurricane <laughs> was awesome in that. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, Jericho was really good. I, I liked Benoit and Rhino a lot too. I don't know. Every, I mean, everyone. I mean, Brock was probably like. 10th on the list that he had a good night <laughs> it's like it was a really good week right. i mean for the top guys it was a really good week right right yeah they executed well on all their angles and stuff even right. maybe when some of the matches were lacking but yeah it see things are coming together um for for mania so got a few weeks left we'll get there but uh yeah thanks for coming on uh you want to tell us what we have going on here at north south anything you want to highlight yeah, no, just a ton of great content. I want to thank you for you know churning these out uh, every other week, and just everyone else who delivers 
um, such high quality content on a consistent basis. Like if you're a super wrestling nerd, we got everything you could possibly want. All kinds of deep dives into different content. Um, whether it's current day, whether it's historical, evergreen stuff, we do lists, we do projects, we do weekly coverages like this, just uh, all different eras as well. So subscribe, share it with a friend, and we really appreciate everyone who takes a minute to listen and download. Awesome. So that kind of wraps us up. I'll be back in a couple of weeks and we'll continue on the road to WrestleMania 19 and uh, uh, see where it takes us. So see you next time. Later. Dance for me, Jake. To do your dirty work, oh yeah. I don't wanna do your dirty work no more. I'm a fool to do your dirty work, oh yeah. Light the candle, put the lock upon the door. You have sent the maid home early. Like a thousand times before Like the castle in his corner In a medieval game I foresee terrible trouble And I stay here just the same I'm a fool to do your dirty work Oh yeah I don't wanna do Oh, no.